Henry Sahudo. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing good, Joe. Good Thank to see you, man. Thank what you does it feel me. like? What does it feel like having stepped back? You step away. You get to look at it from a fresh perspective. What does this feel like? I it it feels good, man. It it feels. Uh, I think the biggest thing with me, Joe, is there's satisfaction in my life. You know what I'm saying? I've done so much in the sport, and I can compare myself a little bit to Daniel. You know, if Daniel would have beat. Stipe Miocic, and he would have retired on top. Like he, you he, he could almost say he retired at the two division world champ. And uh, I don't feel like I have that chip on my shoulder. You know, as a wrestler, I, I retired from the Olympics at a very young age. You know, decided to come back three years later, but you know what I mean. It was it was already done. You know what I mean. I retired at the age of 21, and then now at the age of 33, I'm 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 truly calling it quits unless there's. There's a couple fights that if I do come back. I like that word, unless. <laughs> I like that word. Yeah, and as you know, and and, and and a little bit, it's before it was about the money a little bit with the UFC. And obviously, you know, everybody does have a price. But I think there's 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 a fight that I, that I would really like in the UFC, and that would be against Alexander Volkanovsky. Really? Yeah. If 45. To, at 45. If they were to give me an opportunity to go up and obviously be compensated, then that would be a fight that would really uh, that would really wake me up in the morning. And be like, hey man, this is this is a challenge. This is a whole new mountain, you know. A chance to be a three division world champion. A chance to be a three division world champion. As you know, a lot of people have counted me out against Demetrius, against TJ, against Marlon. That, it may, maybe it was you too, Joe. No, no, and, no, and, no, and, no. And I think that's what I love about it. You can't find any evidence of me <laughs> counting you out, sir. Never. So. I love that. I love challenges. Since I was a kid, I knew I was. I knew I was different. I knew I was special. And uh, these are the what things. What is it that you knew? Like what? What separates you? Oh my God! I think it's. I think it's. It's a couple of things. If I was to explain it to you, like what's what's made me successful, and and I've seen it. You know, being at the Olympic Training Center as a high school kid and living out there for four years, and that's actually where I met Daniel. You know, I was a six-year-old kid when I first met these guys, and I was able to analyze a lot of the greats, like, you know, uh, Stephen Abbas, Daniel Cormier, a lot of the Olympic team. And uh, what I've learned now that at the age of 33, I learned that there's been two things that have separated me from, from the rest of the pact. It's, it's, it's two things with what I call heart and ability. And I was actually able to tell this story to, uh, to Chatri, you know, the, the founder and CEO of 1FC. And... Uh, you know, so it's two things. I call it heart and ability. What is your heart? Your heart is your passion, your will, your desire, your determination. Your heart is something that you're willing to suffer for in order to obtain. Now, the next one is ability. You know, ability is, is a gift that you have since, since you know, it's a coordination. It's, it's something that you've repped over time where you become a master at it. And what happens a lot of time, it's, I, I always tell people it's good to question one or the other. It's good to question the mind. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the heart or, or the ability because to be the 1% of the one percenters, like both of these things have to match. What happens is a lot of people have heart, but their ability is like way down here. You mm. know, their ability doesn't match their heart or their ability is up here and they're just a little lazy and can't really yeah. put the, you know, because there is a separation between mind and body and your job is to connect them both. And, I, and I'm going to use an example. Uh, with Marlon Marais, you saw me getting my ass kicked. You saw me getting leg kicked, you know, from the first all the way to the second round. But I knew that I had to connect it and make that transition. That was a combination of combining the heart and the ability. You know, so I was able to kind of, so what separated me, I'd say that, I think is being, 
being gifted through the ability and then just having a, a, a passion, a will that's just second to none. There's a lot of other factors, though, isn't there? There's like not just ability. It's also you have to be coached by someone who really knows what they're doing. It's there's there's so many guys out there that are really tough and they have will and they they work out hard and they're in shape, but they just make technical mistakes and they've never corrected those those mistakes. Yeah. Well, I think that also goes back on the ability. Uh, I, I would put that into the ability portion. The reason why is because you got to put yourself in the right situations. Like I didn't start winning until I let go of my coaches. Mm. The first time I lost to Demetrius Johnson, it was, uh, man, I, I, it was hard. And this sounds, this sounds very crazy and cynical, but it was kind of hard to blame myself. <laughs> Even though I was training because I knew coming from the Olympic sport that I had a coach that could take me to the top and there was no ifs or what's. Like I knew he knew the recipe. MMA was still a fairly new, and it's still a fairly new sport. So I knew that I had to find the professors. I knew that I had to find the scientists and all this together in order for me to become that perfect storm. So that's exactly what we did, you know, putting putting the science, the recovery, uh, find the right coaches, listening to my ability, understanding my biomechanics. Like it was a mixture of, of, of all these things that's, that's made, that separated me from the first time I fought Demetrius. So just being a just being a legend killer, man. To beating all these guys that they said that, that you know Demetrius Johnson, TJ, you know Marlon Marais, Dominic Cruz, man. That's that's a hell of a list, Joe. It's a hell of a list. You know, that's a hell it, of a list. It's man. one of the reasons why it bums me out that you retired. Like I, I, I have conflicting feelings. One, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I'm happy you retired, young and healthy, and you could do anything you want, man. I really believe a guy who can accomplish what you accomplished inside the octagon and also winning an Olympic gold medalist. You're winning an Olympic gold medal in wrestling at 21 years old, mm -hmm. retiring from the sport, then getting into MMA, becoming a two-division world champion in MMA, and then stepping away while you're still healthy and at the peak of your abilities. Part of me loves that. I love the fact that you did what you wanted to do, and then you step away. But part of me looks back at, like, say, when you fought Benavidez, or say, when you fought uh, Demetrius the first time, and then looks at you now, like you're a completely different animal. Nobody had been able to shut down Dominic Cruz's footwork game, but you came in and just chopped the shit out of his legs, just right off the bat. You, you, whatever advantage we thought that he would have with his footwork and movement, what is was actually becoming a disadvantage, because you you were using that against him. You were you you found the angles and you found the the perfect times to attack his legs. And then you put him away, which is also something no one's ever done before, except Uriah caught him in a submission and finish, finished him. But no one's ever put him away, put him away the way you did. Yeah, and I think it's all about game planning. I think people, uh, you know, you, I think the ability that I have too that separates me too is the fact that I'm. Watch all my fights, man. I fight everybody different. Like I really do, man. There's times where I have to use wrestling like, as I did with the. Well, Demetrius. the Wilson Hayes fight's a great example. You came out like a karate guy. Yeah. I was yeah. like, holy shit, look at this. <laughs> you were like Wonder Boy, f sideways stance, like hands down. You really fought yeah. like a karate guy. And then you, when you caught him with that straight punch and dropped him, I was like, look at this shit. This is crazy. Like you fought a different style. Yeah, and I think with Dominic too, just to get back to him, it's in order for you to understand the, uh, in order for you to understand the funk, like you have to train for the funk. You know, if you don't train for Dominic, if you think you can just go out there and just fight or train the way you train and try to fight Dominic, you're going to be missing. 
Mm. So throughout my training camps, like I, I treated almost like a wrestler, like a boxer. Like my training camp, like I build a team around me. I have a, I have a, a mentor actually who's here, Dave Zowan, who's, uh, you know, who's been helping me to shape. He's a businessman, but he's been able to help me to form like, you know, obviously the perfect storm. And, you know, we brought guys in from California that mimic just like Dominic. That were just a little faster than Dominic. And I knew that I wasn't even trying to touch his face because I knew that he was a hard hit. But I also knew that he would leave his legs a lot. You know, he, you can you can push your body backwards, but your legs will always be in that same position. Mm. So the whole game plan since the beginning, this is why I felt so confident in that fight through training was to continue just keep taking his legs out as much as I can. Did the first round of your fight with, Mar with Marlon Marais sort of open your eyes to like how effective that can be in a fight? Absolutely, man. We saw it this weekend. Yeah, we saw it this weekend. Every man, you mentioned it actually. Not, and I was, I was a little bummed out you mentioned it because a lot of people don't see those little details, those calf kicks, man. You start to take out that lead leg, man, and you lose your mobility. It's it's insane how we've had all these years of MMA, right? Nineteen ninety three, the UFC starts. Here we are in 2020, but it's really only been the last two years or so. I give credit to Benson Henderson because Benson Henderson was the first guy to really bring it to MMA. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it wasn't as devastating when he was doing it. I don't know if he was doing it differently, but there was no moment in a fight where he kicked someone's calf and you saw immediately them buckling. But you're seeing that now with these guys, like immediately one, two kicks, and their leg is semi-useless. Yeah, you look at somebody like Justin Gaethje. Justin yes. Gaethje is, man, if people don't catch on to that, if Khabib don't catch on to that, man, he's in trouble. Well, and, he said, and I know them both. He said, why, like, wide out in the open. He said, when I fight Khabib, he goes, I'm not even going to try to kick him in his thighs. I'm just going to kick him with that low calf kick. He goes, I'm going <laughs> to kick him four times. He goes, after four times, he's fucked. Yeah. And he saw that. You watched the fight with him and uh, Etan Barbosa. And Etan Barbosa, he's a high-level striker. But what really broke down Etan Barbosa was what Justin did to him. He started whipping that 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 calf kick. And actually, right before I even fought Dominic, like I went on YouTube, like this is like maybe an hour before I went to the arena, and I just put like some Justin Gaethje highlights. Just, mm. just ruthless, man. Just really just swinging those kicks with bad intentions. All of them is just to murder you. Mm. And also the reason why I've been able to kick and do things like that because I'm very confident with my takedown defense, you know? It's like John Jones. John Jones is so comfortable with the stand-up because he knows he, his ability to stop Tony from taking him down yes. is just so much higher. Yes. And I feel that same way, so I become a little more free with my kicks and punches mm. and things of that matter. We saw two guys uh, in one of the weight classes that you ruled over, Alex Perez and Jussier Formiga, this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And Alex Perez stopped him with those low leg kicks. Two UFCs in a row, we've seen guys get stopped with low leg kicks. It's crazy. It's crazy how prominent that, that, that technique has become. It, it has, it has, and I think uh, we're going to start seeing more of it. Mm -hmm. So people are going to have to start so. adjusting, man, because there's, what was it, there's two stoppages within, a, there's a stoppage before Alex mm -hmm. Perez recently that came up. Yeah, last week. Last week of the stop, I forget who, uh, who was fighting, but um, it was an another stoppage because leg kicks. In that stoppage, the dude uh, crushed both of his legs. I, I apologize for not remembering the names. I'm, I'm overrun. I didn't call that fight either. Yeah. If I called it. I'd probably remember it. Yeah. But the um, the low leg kick is just a gigantic factor. When you were fighting uh, Marlon Moraes, I mean, it seemed like he was a bit of a, a step ahead of you in the first round. But you made some serious adjustments in between. It was like two different fights. It was like the first round was like, damn, this is not going well for Henry. 
and then going into the second round, like, damn, this is not going well for Marlon. Like, you, it was a totally different fight. It's like you figured the adjustment out, figured out what you needed to do, you stepped in further, you were closer, and you started attacking. <clears throat> yeah, and I think uh, a lot of that too, uh, Joe, and if, if I was – I know how to – I know when to fight and when to compete. And uh, when Marlon – first, I went in there with the sprained ankle. This is why I had my, like, my uh, – my ankle tape, tape, and actually Marlon's team had heard me scream on Tuesday night when all this happened, so they knew I was somewhat injured. So I think their game plan. What when did was, you scream? I twisted my ankle between the UFC mats, like you know they had some cheap tape, and then between the mats when I stepped in, like my I, oh, I, I no. rolled my ankle like bad, bad. I have uh, pictures of it. It's like black I've seen and, it. I've yeah, seen it. Black yeah. and black and blue, but I still wanted to fight, so. You know, uh, um, so anyway, so, you know, I went in there, hurt or whatnot, but I knew that that first round, and you said, you mentioned it too during the fight, you said, I think this might be a survival round for Henry, and it absolutely was. So I knew when to fight and when to compete, but I also knew that Marlon Marlon was throwing so much power, and I've gone, I've gone against some of the best in the world, that's like, dude, there's no way he's going to be able to ma maintain all that power for five rounds. Mm. And I don't think this kid has any idea as a wrestler, because he's never wrestled before, how much pain a guy like me can endure. Mm. So he can say he was tired. He can say that, I don't know, something happened. But in reality, it's a mixture of two things. He blew his watt, and this guy, this guy here could, uh, which is me, could take a lot of could take a lot of pain. I was with Mike not too long ago, and I asked him. I was like, I was like, I was like, hey, Mike, this is Mike Tyson. I'm like, what, 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 how would you describe Muhammad Ali, man? What was the difference between him and everybody else? And he sat there and he thought about it and he's like, which was cool to hear, man, because I, I can I can put myself in, in those shoes. And he's like, he's like, man, Muhammad Ali was a guy that I've never seen before because he could just endure so much pain. Mm. Like the dude could just endure so much pain that it's almost like the average guy would fold. The average that guy would probably get killed. But Ali just had a certain will to him that separated him from from everybody else. It was the effect that he was able to endure pain. Like, you don't hear that too often. It's true, though. You know, I mean, if you watch his fight with Ken Norton, you know, he fought most of the fight with a broken jaw. Yeah, yeah I mean. This is heavyweights, too, man. Hell yeah, man. That's he probably a five-pound jaw, too, huh? man. He fought big heavyweights. <laughs> I mean, George Foreman in his prime. Mm -hmm. Joe Frazier, when, when Joe Frazier was in his prime. Ah, same example. George Foreman, mm -hmm. Lewis Watt. Yep. He had yep. no idea how much uh, pain Ali could endure. Yep. And how much and movement wanted. Ali had going for him. Right. Al Ali was so slick. You know, when Ali, there's a famous video of Ali with his hands on the ropes and, and George is just winging punches at him and Ali is using the ropes. He's holding on to the ropes and using the yeah. ropes. And he's not even putting his hands up at all. Mm -hmm. And the most murderous puncher up to that time since Sonny Liston yeah. in the history of the heavyweight division. You got like Joe Frazier was a, a power puncher. Joe Lewis was a sniper. He was an excellent power puncher. But George Foreman would lift people in the air. Yeah. He would hit Crazy. people. Like, you ever see his first knockout with uh, Joe Frazier? Yeah, he had knocked him on. Then he fought Ali right after he yes. beat Frazier. Yeah. When he fought Frazier, he literally lifted him in the air with a punch. That's mm -hmm. how hard Joe Frazier would hit. And Ali, no, no hands up, just yeah. holding onto the ropes, doing yeah. this shit, sitting in front of him, leaning back, doing this shit, yeah. crazy. Yeah, but imagine how many of those punches, even though he didn't get hit in the face, oh. imagine how many of those punches George Foreman was throwing at him, and then Ali was just laughing and talking yeah. to him. 
It's a cer- it's a certain mind power, man. It's you, a mind fuck that you cannot, yeah. you just cannot replicate, man. Like that's got to be in you, right? Or you have to have developed it over time and have complete confidence in it. You know, there's. I, I think you can build mental toughness. I really, I really do. I think it, ha- but it, I think you have to be very conscious about it. I think it has to be done over time. Some people build mental toughness because of their environment, or because of how they grew up, or the, some of the the bad things they've faced in their life. And some people build mental toughness out of a decision. They make a decision to be mentally tough, and then they actually they cultivate that. They work on that. I think it's a mixture of both, and this is why sometimes I'm res- I respect more of like the upper middle class when they become champions, especially in a rough sport like wrestling or MMA, is because I feel like like minorities or people that have gone through adversity. It's like, man, we, we have an advantage because it's it's through the nurture side of things, how you were raised, man. Like I, I'm one of I'm one of seven kids, Joe, I was raised by a single mother and you know, I was the youngest man, so I was a kid that was picked on. You know, I was mm. picked on by all no, no, I was like it's different when you're the smallest in, in an immigrant family, you know? <laughs> it's like, dude, you're the last one to eat you're the last, you're gonna get beat up pretty much the majority of your childhood until you start getting to that age where you could kind of fight back. Mm. So a lot of it, I guess, you owe through the through the nature and nurture, obviously genetics, your mo- your mother and father, but also through the through the nature side of it, how you were raised, man. Mm-hmm. How how tough are you? Like me as a kid growing up, like I, I remember as a family man, like hot summer days would come around, like we didn't eat, man. We didn't eat, man. Like going to school was a place for us to like at least for at least I could say my family they don't talk about that stuff so much. They're a little more private, but for me it was like, dude, I, I get a chance to eat lunch and breakfast. Well, that was a big problem with this COVID shit where they shut schools down and a lot of kids are in that same position where that was their opportunity to eat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some people were just not aware of that, that that's where a lot of people got their food was at school. Right, right. And I was one of those kids. So I, if there's any of those kids or any of the, those guys that are adults now, it's like, hey, man, be happy for that. Because I, I tell you what's made me has been adversity, man, is going, is understanding that that grind, that grit, man, that mm. of being angry and things like that. And if you're able to challenge that into something constructive, I mean, yeah. Joe, I'm, I'm going to live an example, man. You, you, are, you are. Like, look at that flag behind you. I represented that flag. You did. You know? And uh, ironically, you know, my mom came to this country, you know, maybe not the most political way. (laughs) (laughs) But she came to this country to live the American dream. And her American dream was just to make sure her kids. It's a timing thing, you know, because my grandparents came over here, too. But they came over here when it was uh, it was easy. You just came over and you just signed some shit and you were in. Yeah. You know, in the the early 1900s, it just look, if that's how it was today, you wouldn't have the kind of Im- illegal immigration you have today. This country was founded on people coming over here because it was easy. Mm-hmm. It was a better place to live. You could have a better life for your family. But it, there was no hoops to jump through. My grandparents just arrived. They just came here and moved in. I mean, they, they, didn't, they right. didn't have to take any like serious tests or do any crazy shit. They just <laughs> came in. You know, they didn't have yeah. to prove that they had some special skills. Like now, it's very difficult for people to come over here and to, to get uh, citizenship. No, it is. And, and I do believe, even as an immigrant, so that there is a pathway, you know, to citizenship. Because you're right, times times do change. And you have to adjust to to a lot of whatever political power is going on right now. I just happen to be fortunate to uh, 
that my mom did it. <laughs> yeah, your mom did it. Yeah, I said this, she crossed. I'm I'm here now. I think guys like you are amazing sources of inf- inspiration for other people that are struggling. And this is crazy, Joe. So I'm gonna mention something to you. It's like my mom, both of my parents came here illegally. I'll just say it, man. You guys forgive me. <gasps> <laughs> Don't tell Trump. <laughs> But my mom was granted her citizenship. So when I won the Olympics, my mom wasn't able to attend the 2000 Olympics due to her due to her citizenship status. So then three years later after that, she was awarded her citizenship. But uh, at the age of 20, so, you know, I stand on both fences, man. Like my dad, he was, uh, my you know, my father, which, which I was just raised by my mother. He committed crimes in and out. He was in and out of jail here in California. He was actually deported. So, so I was a five-year-old kid. My dad was deported, never came back to America. So I I understand both sides, man. Like, and I hate to say mm. this, but it's true. It's my dad came here as a foreigner, as as an illegal, and he decided to break the law, man. And rightfully so, man. He should go back to his native country. My mother came here, you know, illegally. Uh, uh you know, uh, paid her fine, paid her taxes and whatnot, and then she was granted her citizenship in two thousand. 2011 man so i've been able to speak on this on on behalf of congress and kind of share my story to the world man because man i'm it's almost like i become neutral you mm. break the law you go man you you obey the law after a certain amount of time man it, maybe you might get granted as an american mm. yeah yeah it's it's a very frustrating thing for people who uh do want to have a better life for their family they realize how difficult it is to come here I fully understand illegal immigration. Uh, I fully understand wanting to keep out people that are criminals and people that are murderers and people that are in the drug trade. But if I was a person who was struggling to feed my family in South America or in Mexico or wherever, and I, I found out that I could sneak in and that I could do better, I would sneak in. Yeah. I would do it, 100%. And anybody says they wouldn't, you're lying. Yeah. You're lying. If you found out there was a place across the border where you could make five times as much and you could send money back and all you had to do is grind, this place where literally anybody can go from being uh, uh, completely impoverished to being on top of the world, to being a millionaire, this is the place. I think the best example, man, I hate to use the example because he's, he's, he's burned a lot of people, is, is Don King. Well, Don King is maybe not the best example because he was born in America, first of all, and he's a murderer twice, twice over. You know, he's an example of a, a different time. And, you know, you talk to guys like Mike Tyson, he'll tell you that that guy played me and right, fucked me right. over. Right, right. Yeah, you're, you're probably he's right. A criminal. Maybe Don King. But what I'm saying is he's been able to come out of, you know, he obviously he was a murderer, but he was able to somewhat make it in the sport that he desired to yeah. be at that time. I'm not, you know, obviously, I think we all know he's a crook. But, man, it lets you know what America's able to do, man. It doesn't matter what you've done in life. You, you you really do get not only a second, a third, but a fourth and a thousand opportunities. He's from a different era. I feel like if the internet was around, well, you know, who knows? Maybe he'd be president today. <laughs> Look at our president, man. This is why, this, dude, this is why, this is why, like, like dude, Trump, Trump is the example of the American dream. In, in many ways, yeah. The, a faulty version of it. But yeah, in many ways, yeah. yeah. And I think the other person that Actually, I would... probably not the version of the American dream because his, his dad was rich and he gave him money. Like he started off, his dad gave him millions of dollars to start yeah. businesses. 
Right, but I mean, he turned that into billions too. He did, right? but he also and, went bankrupt a bunch of times too. Yeah, you got me, Joe. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 tricky. I mean, you can't deny the fact that the guy's been remarkably successful. Yeah, but like the extenuating circumstances that led to that success is very different than your mother sneaking over here because she wanted to do better for her family. Yeah. You know, th that's that's the raw version of the American dream. I mean, the the American dream is really immigration. And that's really what it like. I'm a version of the American dream. I'm third generation American. My, my grandparents came over here because they wanted a better life. Their parents wanted a better life. So they came over here from Italy and from Ireland. Yeah, it's a trip, man. I, I, when, I, when you think when you talk about things like that, you know, who I think of a lot when you talk about the American dream, man, I know, uh, you know, he's I, in my opinion, I feel like he's somewhat misunderstood in our, in our MMA community or just in general, man, is uh uh, is is Ali Abdelaziz man a dude that came from Egypt you know came to America I remember Ali uh, I've known him for a minute since since 2004 you know he would sell FUBU like out he, he, was, he was just hustling the whole time out of Colorado Springs and uh you know now I mean he's got over 150 fighters I mean he's got five champions in the UFC I mean this dude is uh when I think of the American dream, I really do think of somebody like like Ollie. Well, he's a very controversial guy. He is. He is. Um, but his clients love him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's it's hard to hard to deny that his clients love him. I mean, there's a lot of people that say a lot of wild shit about him. I don't know how much of it's true. Yeah. But the bottom line is, you talk to guys like Justin Gagey, guys like yourself. You know, ma many fighters that have had come in here that are rep by him, and they love the guy. Yeah, Khabib. Frankie, I think, Frankie, Edgar. Yeah, Frankie, all these dudes, Cody, uh, Verdum, and he's mm -hmm. been able to, and I've been there, and I've never seen this before, but he's kind of like the glue with all of us. Like, dude, I was eating lunch and dinner with with Marlon. <laughs> Were you and, really? Yeah, not before too long. or after This is like maybe... Four months after my fight. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm sure it must have stung, but out of the respect for him. And I told that to Ali. I'm like, Ali, man, these dudes good. Because I was picking on Frankie Edgar, too. But I was like, man, I, you're next, dude. You're going to bend yeah. the knee. And I was like, Ali, <laughs> these dudes are going to want to fight me, man. There's two against one. Who, who's back? He got, he's like, my brother. He's like, you think they're going to do that when I'm here, man? He's like, these guys respect as much as you do. And I'm just like, huh? And then we sat down. It was just like nothing ever happened, man. Well, that's very cool that uh, Marlon has that kind of character that he could sit down with you after that fight. That's very cool. Yeah, Marlon's an interesting guy, man. He's uh, he's one of those guys that like you wonder like, is he too big for that division? Like, how much is how much weight is that man cutting? He's so fucking big. To see him get down to one thirty-five, you look how shredded he is. Like, what do you walk around at? Like, he looks like he walks around about one sixty something. Yeah, he's big, and I think I think I personally think that Marlon could hurt some people at 145 pounds. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, it's um that that risk versus reward. Like, when do you move away? When do you, you know, when do you go up? When do you stay down? Like, how much are you beating your body up? And then you got some guys who go down later in their career. You know, like uh, Barbosa is a good example. Barbosa in his last fight, I thought he got robbed. I, I thought he won that decision. And um, he got down to 145. That's that's not always the answer, Joe. Look, I mean, look at me. I was at 125 pounds. And could I still make it? Yeah, I could still make it. But the fatigue that it bring to me, like the, I think the psychology side too of cutting mm. weight, like going going down is not always the answer. I mean, I started having my best success when I decided, I was like, hey, man, 
I'm I'm just sick of cutting weight, man. I'm 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 getting ready to go up and you know challenge myself at 135 pounds. And what you hear from the naysayers is like, man, he's just you're too small, man. You're not ready for some power like that. I'm just like, no, I don't think so, man. I think there's an advantage of me for me to feel well. If I feel mm. well and I feel healthy with my speed, you know, I, I'm a I'm a short, compact fighter. It's like, man, trust me, I don't need that much. As long as I land, I'm gonna hurt you, man. You can you can be 10 pounds heavier than me. It doesn't matter. So there's been a lot of guys who've moved up, and it's been the answer. Yeah, Jorge Cal- Masvidal. Yeah, Masvidal, Calvin. Yeah, even Calvin has success. Calvin, I still think I would, I would if I was. I mean, just if someone gets in Kelvin's ear, like, Kelvin, <laughs> we got to do this the right way. There's a lot of guys way bigger than you that make 170. I think at 170, he could be a world champion. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a scary man when he's in shape and, and, and motivated, but <sighs> he just gets big. Yeah, I think, man, he loves, loves he food. Loves, he loves Mary Jane. He lo- oh, that too. He loves that too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. the. I think, the, you think I, that's what it yeah, is? Yeah, Kelvin is, dude, he's one of my best friends, man. Like, we become. Super, super close, and uh, he's he's a very gifted, very gifted human being, man. Like he's, when you see him, looks are deceiving. No, he doesn't have mu- enough, you know, muscle definition. But man, the dude's athletic ability, oh, what, a, what he could do, his counter punching. Yeah, Whew. it's like it's it's ridiculous. He's man. got one of the best straight left hands in the business. Mm-hmm. The one they dropped Bisping with, like Jesus, yeah. it's a piston, man. Yeah, but I also feel like, and I see that, and I always, like, I always think, okay, Calvin can make 170. I agree with you, Joe. But what about that happiness portion? You know what I'm saying? Will he be happy throughout that process? Maybe he'll be happy when he lies in bed with that big-ass gold belt. <laughs> you know? Maybe that's what makes I got happy. two of them, so I, know I just don't do. know, Joe. Add a gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> and a gold medal. You the youngest guy to ever win a gold medal in the Olympics for wrestling? Yes, in 2008. That's amazing. In 2016, uh, Kyle Snyder, who, if he does decide to make a transition to the UFC, a guy like John Jones would be in trouble. You think? Yeah. Yeah, the dude is just, just the reason why I beat Demetrius. You know, obviously, I beat Demetrius. It was, and it was, Joe, I wouldn't be mad. I'm bring this up right now. I wouldn't be mad if the judges would have gave it to Demetrius, man. You know what? Because it was a hell of a fight. And very, I would have been like, I, I, man, I almost had him. But... You know, the judges, I conveyed enough to, to for the judges to give it to me. And uh, the reason why I was able to beat him was because I nullified a lot of his things with my wrestling, my inside trips, my takedowns. So I completely dismantled this dude. You know what I mean? I took him out of his rhythm when he was used to kind of catching people and then being able to take people down. So I feel like if a guy like Kyle Snyder gets in the game and he's able to kind of go through the process that I've gone through, that's the only guy that I could see beating somebody like John Jones. How old is he now? He's young. He's, uh, I want to say he's 24, about to be 25. Interesting. And does he have any desire to fight? He's mentioned it. Yeah. He's mentioned it. but Does he, he have any experience in stand-up at all? Uh, and that's the biggest thing, man. So he would, a guy like that, you would have to kind of, you would have to groom him properly. Like yeah. you, you don't want to stick a guy like that straight into MMA. No. Put him into boxing for at least a, a, a couple years. Have him, have him do this because this is what I did. I boxed for three years. I did amateur boxing. I competed. I mean, I was, I didn't do any jujitsu, none of that because I was in love with the sport of bo- boxing. My original goal, and this is crazy. This, this is how, this is how crazy I think, Joe. Is I was trying to make the Olympic team right after two thousand eight for boxing. For boxing. Wow. Yeah, and the reason why that that idea came up because Deontay Wilder did it. Within I think it was four years, mm-hmm. he was able to year make. Year and a half. Is it was it a year, year and a half from boxing wins a bronze medal in the Olympics? Crazy, right? Dude. I was like, dude, if that dude could do it, 
Give, Dude. give me a few years. That's one of the when he told me that I'm like that is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard in my life. Ridiculous. I mean, but also extremely motivated because he had a very sick daughter and he realized that he couldn't play basketball. He wasn't going to school. Couldn't play football. He was trying to figure out ways to make money. He was driving a truck. I believe it was for Budweiser. He was driving. A tr he was delivering, delivering things, mm -hmm. and he just decided uh, I'm going to get into boxing and just had unbelievable God-given talent and just ferocious punching power. His punching power is like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, you look at Deontay Wilder's knockouts. They'll, they don't even make sense. He sends people flying across the, the ring. And when he fought Tyson Fury, the, the first fight, when he dropped him and knocked him down twice, he only weighed 209 pounds. It's crazy. 209 pounds? 209 pounds. That's, I mean, that's a heavyweight. Yeah. That's crazy. And, you know, he's fighting Tyson Fury. He was an enormous heavyweight. Yeah. And, like... He hits guys, man, like nobody else. What Tyson had over him, though, that he, he showed in the technical side of it in the second fight was his boxing. His, his, his understanding of the game is so complex. It's so much different. Whereas Deontay has just this ferocious power, and he figures out how to put it on you. But when you can knock out a guy like Luis Ortiz with a fucking right hand of the forehead— yeah. He, he looked like he gold got medalist, shot right? Ortiz, yes. yeah, that's yeah, crazy. And, gold, and a fucking elite boxer. Mm -hmm. I mean, but he blocked. He hit him on the forehead. And Ortiz is just, his legs went out. And you see him going, what yeah. the fuck just happened? <laughs> forehead. Who punches that hard? <laughs> Deontay's just got crazy, crazy power. But fact remains, he did it after a year and a half. And he won a bronze medal in the Olympics, which is just spectacular. Yeah, it's nuts, man. So that's where the original goal came from. But I just saw like it was it just wasn't realistic for me at that time, like especially at my weight class, like these dudes have been doing this since they were four years old. There's a different speed. I've been and I was sparring with a lot of these guys. I'm like, damn man, this is like it's nuts, man. It's nuts when you're at the lower weight because now you're dealing with not just in heavyweight, you can somewhat get away with it because if you might be fashion more right. athletic. Right. But at the lower weight classes, man, there is speed. You got the, you know, you got yeah. you got the dudes from from Philadelphia, from California, mm -hmm. like all these Mexicans, blacks, yep. whites that are just like, hey man. They've been doing it forever. This is a different sport, man. And I and I've been humbled before. Mm, I feel like boxing in particular is one of those sports that's very difficult to learn properly as you get older. There's something about muscle memory and 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 your your body being ingrained, like developed to move a certain way and to strike a certain way and to be able to react on openings, like instinctually. It's almost like once you hit like 25, 26 years old and you start then like, ooh, it's real hard to ever get to an elite level. Yeah, your body starts to change and that happened to me. And it's crazy and it's ironic, Joe. It's like even my UFC debut, like think about this, like I didn't make weight. And I'll never forget it. I was with my brother. He's actually back here too, my, with my brother Alonzo. And I remember, uh, you know, he I didn't make weight. I couldn't make the weight, man. I was just doing too much. You're talking about by the time you get 25, like you hit the nail on the head because mm -hmm. that's when I first started struggling to make weight. And I didn't make weight at that time. And I remember I was just going to get on a flight and just disappear and never freaking see and never look back, man, and really? just retire. Yeah, this is crazy, Joe. This is crazy. And my brother, my, my brother was, you know, thank God for him. My brother Alonzo, and he's like, you need to be a man, and you got to go and talk to Sean Shelby and let him tell him thank you and let him know that you're retired, man. And I was, man, it took everything in my heart because I was so embarrassed, Joe. This was this is when TJ fought, uh, when he was supposed to fight Burrell, I think the second time. And uh, and this is when he fought Joe Soto, so I was, on that, I was supposed to be on that card. And I was supposed to fight uh, Scott Jorgensen. 
and I went down there, didn't make the weight, and I'll never forget. It. I was dehydrated. I was, I was, I couldn't even have tears to cry. I was so dehydrated. Then I went up to uh, to Sean. Sean was like, Sean, thank you, man, but I'm just, I no longer want to do this sport, man. I'm. Did you back out of that fight? I. My body just wasn't reacting, man. Like I wasn't doing well. Like my lip, I, I remember cutting cutting weight. That's probably one of my worst weight cuts ever. It was I had a cold lip. Like I started vomiting, like all the fluid that I had in my body, just stupid. I was doing sixteen pounds, Joe. I was doing sixteen pounds like the day of the day of pretty much the day of weigh-ins. Wow. Like something stupid. And the only reason why I was doing something like that was because I felt when you come from the sport of wrestling, like to me, making weight and doing everything that the MMA fighters were doing, I was like, Man, these dudes are spoiled. These dudes <laughs> get twenty four, these these dudes get close to about thirty hours before they fight. I says, man, that's that's a lot of recovery time. So this is this is this is how stupid this is the way I saw it. And again, the age caught up to me. I would do the six I would do the sixteen pounds, I would murder myself, I would really hurt myself, make the weight and then balloon back up. But there's came there came a point by the time I turned 25, 26, that my body just started to shut down on me. And I just wasn't doing it right and that finally kicked me in the ass. Mm. So imagine that. So, UFC debut, and I told Sean Shelby, dude, I'm done. I ain't never fighting crazy. again. <laughs> but let me ask you this. So was your thought process that because of the fact that these MMA guys get more time to recover, it's not like they have to weigh in the day of the wrestling match. They're, they're weighing in the day before the fight in the daytime. They don't have to fight. And then eventually it became in the morning, yeah. right? So you have even more time. And then they didn't have to fight until the next day at night. So you were like, I'm going to be heavier. I'm going to come in bigger with a bigger advantage. Yeah. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think so. And now looking looking at it now, it's just it's it's dumb, dude. It's mm. like you're. It's better to feel good than to feel bigger. Being bigger is. Marlon was bigger than me. Yeah. You know, a lot of these dudes were bigger than me, but it didn't. It Dominic was, was bigger than you. Dominic too. Yeah. Even TJ. Yeah. Even TJ. When we did make flyweight, somehow he. I was one forty six. So imagine that. I made 125 pounds, 124 pounds. Did TJ made the weight, right? Did he make the weight? Yeah, he made the weight. And he was he was 24 too. I ballooned up to 146 pounds. TJ ballooned up to 150 pounds. Dude, he looked worse <laughs> cutting weight. He looked worse showing up for the weigh-ins than I've ever seen anybody since Travis Luter. When Travis Luter missed weight against Anderson Silva. Travis Luter missed weight against Anderson Silva. I'll never forget this because I saw him when he missed the weight. And then I saw him. I was backstage while he was trying to continue to cut because they gave him time to make weight. And he couldn't lift his legs up to walk to the scale. He was shuffling, like shuffling towards the scale. His lips were all cracked. Yeah. They're all sucked in. His face was sucked in. He was, he was literally on death's door. Like you could see it, he was on. He was if if that guy was like released from a prison, like an overseas prison, <laughs> I'd be like, oh my god, they were torturing him. Yeah. They're, they're, he's he's about to die. Like I'd never seen a guy look so bad. He looked so fucking bad, and uh, people forgot about Travis Luter. Travis was Luter was a beast, man. He was he had some of the best jujitsu that mm -hmm. the, anybody had ever seen in the octagon up to that point. Everybody he fought, he submitted. He was so fucking good, but he. What, for whatever reason, when he had that big fight with Anderson Silva, he just <clears throat> couldn't keep it together. And I believe he had Anderson Silva down at one point in time in that fight, too. Then Anderson Silva caught him in a triangle and elbowed him off of his back. And that's how I believe that's how the fight got stopped. But yeah. Travis was uh, the worst I've ever seen um, Like for someone just 
about to make weight, someone struggling to make weight. Yeah, but even you you think about guys like that, guys that have that have could have potentially become a, a world champion. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, so what happens when somebody loses, man? What are the stages, the emotions when somebody loses? You know right. what I'm saying? It's like there's a recovery process off of when people lose and you know, I hate to say this, but I'll, I'll bring up I'll bring up Marlon Marias uh, again. You know, because I feel like I gave the blueprint. If you watch me fight him, then you watch Aldo fight him. It's these guys when they lose, they go through a certain psychology thing, and you can see him as a fighter. Every time I do fight, I always look at their demeanor. I've always I I, I always pay attention to their demeanor from the first round to the second round to the third, as as far as it goes. And I've noticed that Marlon's demeanor was was changing. I noticed that in my fights, when people's demeanor changes, like that's, to me, that's that, that that's a breaking point that the mind has. Mm. So I was able to see that with Marlon. Then after the after what, what did beat, you see? You saw that he was slowing down. I saw taking... he was. I saw he was slowing down. His your his face starts to slouch. His shoulders start to drop. And then uh, and then that's when I, I you really can't see in the video, but then that's when I started talking to him. I'm like, all right, man, you ready? Let's go. Bring it. Give it to me. You know, this is during the fight. So you're was able he talking back? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. And that's another reason is because they're so tired, man, that they don't they just don't have any energy. Even McGregor, mm. people like that. But uh, what I'm trying to get to is guys that lose, if you don't recover from your defeat, from your loss, if you don't get therapy, if you don't understand the reasons why you lost, man, you're screwed, man. Therapy. Therapy. Have you gotten that? Um, yeah, yeah, like there, but, but, but it's, it's more, for me, it was more like a real, a realization when the first time I lost to Demetrius Johnson and getting knocked out in two minutes and 36 seconds, man, it's like, to me, the worst thing that could happen to a fighter and the worst scenario that something can happen to somebody and get stopped is getting knee to the body. You're conscious, Joe, you're conscious and this is kneeing you from left to right. And then your eyes are open and you've had enough. And then you see big John McCarthy waving his hands and you're knowing that he's making the right call, but you're still conscious. You still want to go, but you can't. Right. Your body shut off. In front of 20,000 people. <laughs> in front, you know, with Joe Rogan commentating. I mean, it's, it's miserable and it's terrible, but it's a certain therapy. It's a certain acceptance that you got to go through. In order for you to come out of that, and so what, what did you do afterwards? I let go of coaches, man. I let go of coaches. I started traveling the world. I mean, I went to Asia. I went to what'd uh, you do in Asia? I went out to uh, Singapore. I went to Evolve. Mm. I spent about a month out there. I oh went yeah, to, uh, just to train, just to train, just to go find like the best minds of of mixed martial arts and just of basis too. I went out to uh, you know to Holland for a month. I would go out to Brazil and just what'd you do in Holland? And Holland, I, I I trained out with I trained with uh, Paula Moth. He's 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 Andy Sowers' coach. Oh wow! Yeah, so I was with them and just training with them and just just humbling yourself. I guess I guess I guess I could say. And obviously, throughout this whole time, it's like man, I, I was on a quest because I still had Demetrius Johnson. Like I wasn't gonna retire from the sport without without me giving him a fair shake. So I knew that it had something to do not just with the body but with the mind. It's almost like you got to come out of this, man. Like you like. It was almost like you can call it a mistake or whatnot, but the reality is, is you lost, man. There's holes in your games. So I always tell people, like, don't face it. I'm sorry, don't fake it till you make it. I don't like that. You have to face this shit. Once you face it, this is when you start to create, man, freaking overflowing success. Did you know, like, when you fought him and uh, 
first of all, you fought the best version of Demetrius Johnson ever. The, the guy to, to this day, I think, is the best example of a mixed martial artist I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I think Demetrius in his prime, he was so fucking good, man. He was so fast and he was so technical and he made such good decisions. His, his footwork, his movement, like everything was so precise. Did you, did you say, okay, I see the gap. I see these holes. And I know where he hit me. I know where there was mistakes made. I got to tighten those up. How do I do that? Yeah, he, Demetrius was so good everywhere, even in the wrestling. I can even tell you as an Olympic athlete, even in the wrestling, his timing was really good. So I don't even think it was so much Demetrius Johnson. Like obviously it was a distance game, but it, it comes down to like such, when you fight a guy like that, it comes down to such the minor details, man. And I think the minor detail for me was 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 composure. And I remember right before I fought the dude, I, I, I noticed that like my corner, my team, that they were extremely nervous, Joe. Like my team, they're dude, you imagine fighting somebody like Demetrius Johnson and your coach is not having faith in you? And I'm like, what the f I'm like, shit, man, are you kidding me? Well, he was a ghost back then. Demetrius was a ghost. I mean, he wasn't there for you. He would be swinging at air. He was just off to the side. Then he was kneeing you in the body and punching you in the face and kicking your leg on the way out. And we should even say in the second fight, the fight that you won, he got you with that low calf kick and your leg mm -hmm. went numb. Yeah, he hit the peroneal nerve, which numbs like all the nerves to your feet. So it sleeps it. And then when you try to lay your foot down, like your, your foot's still awake. So I even sprained it in the first round. But this, is the, yeah, but, but this is the mind power that I had, Joe. It was a survivor round, as you say. I went back to the corner and I thought to myself, this is, this, is, this, is, this is how crazy I am. I was like, hey, I just thought to myself, man, how crazy is this going to be when I beat this dude? <laughs> like I survived that first run. I says, man, this is going to make my story, whatever I desired in my life, that much better because I went through adversity with this fucking dude again. Yeah. But just to get it's back to, to yeah, right just, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's a champion's mind. And even before, so I'm getting ready to walk out. I'm getting ready to fight Demetrius Johnson. And I noticed my team, like, they're still kind of like, you know, grabbing their fingers. You know, I'm pacing back and forth. And about a few hours before we went out to the arena, I, I talked to my team and I sat them here and I've been like, and I sat my whole team down. It's just like, almost like a dad. And I'm like, listen, man, I says, I need you guys to trust me and have faith in me. The key plan to being this dude, like I know this is the greatest of all time, but I know what I've done in wrestling and I can replicate that what I've done in mixed martial arts, man. The only thing I'm going to ask from you guys is for you guys to be composed. For you guys to be composed, man. Don't don't over yell, stay calm. Like whatever happens in the fight, man, I just need you guys to bear with me and have faith in me because I'm going to... You got to coach your coaches. Yeah, in some way, man. And it's crazy <laughs> to say that. So then right when I'm getting ready, check this out, Joe. So right when I'm getting ready to walk out, you know, right before I walk out first, I was going to walk out and then Demetrius. And I still noticed my coach was still a little nervous. And I looked at him and I said, hey, guys, remember, composure, man, composure. Like, I was so ready for this, dude. So then I go in there, I get kicked in the first 30 seconds, dude. My leg starts to wobble. And so forth, you know, it was a survival round. I allow him to win, whatever. I think he won. I think he won the first. I won the second. He won the third, and then uh, and then I believe I won the fourth and I won the fifth. And then after this whole thing, check this out, Joe. He, uh, um, Dimitri Johnson was on Ariel Hawani, and then Ariel Hawani asked him. He was like, "Hey, Dimitri, just one last question." He was like, "What's one thing that surprised you about Henry?" And Dimitri Johnson said, "Well, I knew he was going to be fast. I knew he was strong, 
But there's one thing that really did surprise me with Henry. It was the fact that he was so relaxed. You know? So it's these tactical things. And everybody that you fight is completely different. You mm. know, you can have a certain word that you can put up here. But I knew that being composed and relaxed and not overreacting to Demetrius Johnson, that that would win me the fight for this fight. And there's a lot more to it. It was mm. me being a, knowing when to fight and knowing when to compete. It's me being a little theatrical, like bumping my fist, like conveying the judges. Those little things that you learn as, as a veteran of competition mm. that you can even convey the judges. So there's even acting going on, Joe. Mm. Now, I'm telling you guys all my secrets here. But in reality, there is, man. That's, I'm just a winner. I'm, I just, the only thing I just know how to do is know how to win. How are you going to step away from this? Come on, Henry. How are you going to do this? Show me the money! I'm, I'm torn. <laughs> I, I'm, like I said in the beginning, man, I feel both ways. And one, I'm happy when a fighter gets out on top of the game like you. Like one of my favorite boxing stories of all time is Marvin Hagler. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because he fought Sugar Ray Leonard. I think he got robbed to this day. I think he won the decision. And they gave it to Sugar Ray, and then he... he Backed away. That's what you, sage. What you, what you got here? You smoking that, this? No, show? bro. No, you light it up to kill the demons in the room. <laughs> this uh, Native American lady gave me this. Oh, she yeah. came in to talk to us about. I got in this uh, long kick of uh, reading about Native American history. Yeah. Well, they actually, a lot of them refer to themselves as American Indians. But, uh, and then this lady came in and was educating me on a lot of the issues. And, Brought me some sage to clear out all the bad spirits. Yeah, no, I, I, I've, uh, I, I believe in a lot. I believe in a lot of these rituals and whatnot. Actually, not too long ago, I was actually with uh, with Uncle Mike. Yeah, you told me that. With Mike Tyson and uh... get rid of demons right now, bro. <laughs> yeah. Demons, be don't gone. start, don't start shaking back there, man. No, we'll be all right. Jamie's no demon. You never know. Yeah, but I was able to, uh, cause you know, as you know, Mike, Mike has always talked about the toad. You know? Yes. And I believe you've done the toad too. Yeah, what the toad is, what you're referring to is 5-methoxy-dimethyltryptamine that's excreted by the toad's skin. Um, they they take <clears throat> this uh, type of toad, I forget the name of the toad, but they uh, get it excited and excrete this stuff from its skin onto glass. And then they leave that glass out in the sun and it dries, that excretion dries, and then you scrape it up with a razor blade and then you smoke that stuff. Or you could just get a synthetic version of it. Colorado River Toad. That's what it is. Sonoran yeah. Desert Toad. Yeah, it's Sonoran. Yeah. And uh, you can find the center of the universe through the excretions of this toad's body. Oh, my body. God. It's a trip, it's Joe. It's a trip. So, anyways. Have you done anything before this? Before you did this, did you, have you had any experiences with psychedelics? Yeah. I've done, like, I've, I've, you know, I've done mushrooms and, obviously, high smoke, which I don't know where all the Weed? Mary Jane is. But, it's uh, right here, bro. You want some? Come on. You're retired. Yeah, why not, man? Come on, Jeff Nowitzki. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> Nowitzki actually wanted everybody to be able to. He's the one yeah. of the first guys to say it's nonsense. It's, a, it's not a performance enhancer. Although with Nick Diaz, I think it might be. Yeah. I think with Nick Diaz, it might actually be a performance enhancer. <laughs> I really think so, man. When he fought Gomi, they said he he had to have gotten high. He had so much weed in his system when they tested him that he had to have gotten high right before the fight. Yeah. Light that up, Joe. You puff, puff, pass, or... So I'm going to share my story with you, Joe, Please and do. I want you to share yours with me. Okay. What type of leaf is this? 
Well, that's um, tobacco on the outside, so it's a blunt, you know, and then the inside, it's the weed. I get this from Speedweed. Shout out to my man, Gino. Gino so anyway, Gentile. so check this out. You imagine you imagine doing the toe with uh, with somebody like Mike? I, I get high with Mike and I got nervous. Just uh, when I'm nervous when I meet him. Look, he was one of my heroes. When I was a kid, Mike Tyson was the fucking man. I mean, in a way that it's hard for people to convey today to understand what a cultural figure Mike Tyson was in like 1986. It's hard to convey you're not gonna, no one's gonna understand. Youngest ever heavyweight champion, you know, knocks out Trevor Burbick when he's 20 years old. Yeah, he oh, was the same guy that beat Ali, right? Trevor Burbick beat, mm -hmm. beat Ali late in his career when it was real sad. It was a real sad fight. It was yeah. a real sad fight. But it's touching. Remember when Ali went in the ring and gave, gave Mike like a little pep talk? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then Mike and then Mike went out there and knocked that dude out yeah. the first round. Yeah, Priceless. yeah, yeah. Muhammad Ali's like, "Fuck this dude up for me, will you?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but anyways, to get back to that, Joe. So, yeah. you know, so you know, I, I've been, I've actually been shadowing Mike for like the, Mike Tice for like the last. I'm, I'm good friends with uh, with his manager, Rob Rob Hickman, mm -hmm. and uh, just the stuff that they're doing at Tyson Ranch, man, is uh, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it's really cool, right? Yeah, they're they're bringing medicine to the world. So, Mike, I've been on his podcast. He's always talked about the toad. I was like, all right, you know, so I became good friends with, I call him Uncle Mike, man, because he's just, you know, he scolds me a lot. Every time he sees me, he's always, you know, he, he'll compliment me, but then he'll scold me at the mm. same time. So he always talked about the tour. I'm just like, well, let's let's do it then, Mike. Let's do it, Uncle Mike. So he was like, man, dude, you sure you want? I'm like, yeah, man, you've been talking about it for a minute. So, you know, so we go out, we go on this, uh, you know, they have this whole real nice settlement with rituals or whatnot. And we go out to uh, to Antigua, which is an island off the, off the Caribbean. We have a... I forget what they're called. Uh, the person that uh, shaman. Yeah, shaman. I'm sorry. And uh, he's out there, and the, you know, Mike goes first. So Mike, T imagine this: Mike Tyson does it. He, you know, Mike Tyson's Mike Tyson's. He's he's doing it. He's he's going he's going a bit crazy, man. Because a lot of it, what what that what that does is it brings out your, a lot of your, as you say, you know, you open up the stage a lot of your demons, yeah. a lot of things that you probably been holding on to for a minute. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing I'm seeing Mike over here twist and turning and kind of you know. Talk about a lot of I don't want to share that stuff, but you know, talk about a lot a lot of his past, man. And mm -hmm. me, as you said, he's he's an idol, he's a legend. You know, that's the way I look at Mike too. So I'm over here hearing him. I'm just I'm almost like tripping out, but at the same time intrigued. Mm -hmm. You know, because so then I go up and I do it, and uh, man, it took me to uh, especially out of retirement here, man. Like I, I would I almost kind of somewhat wanted answers. I was hoping that it would give me okay, man. This is like the path and whatnot. And uh, it took me, it took me to like, it took me to my mom's like, your mom's like first love, man. You know, and it showed me like in a story, like, almost like in a movie, you know, how I was born, how my mom had me, how I, how by the time I was eight years old, like I had my sister, so I was no longer the youngest, how my mom kind of like, you know, and in all fairness, kind of somewhat pushed to the side. Leaving home at the age of 17 and, and, and substituting my mom's love for self-fulfillment, wrestling, uh, mixed martial arts. And it brought me back to a little kid when I was uh, maybe four or five when I would cry to my mom because I remember as a kid we would go uh, we would go from L.A. to New Mexico like in Greyhounds. And I remember stopping at McDonald's and things like that. But to me, you know, as a kid, you don't know you're poor. But what that did is that brought me back to the person that created me. That brought me back to my mom's love, man. So it like, it like resurrected something in me. Mm 
And I was crying. I was asking for like forgiveness. I was speaking in Spanish. Ma, perdóname. Like, mom, forgive me. Wow. It was something. Uh, it was something scary in some ways because it does. T- it's it, it takes you out of your your body. Like it's 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 almost like you're in judgment day, and you're the one that's being convicted, and you're the judge too. Mm. And it's telling you, but it's giving you this certain peace. It's like you're so dead that you're alive. Whoa. It's a trip, Joe. I don't know which ones you had, but this is what I can share and what, what I can experience. Like it was mm. it was cool, man, because I was able to do it with special people. I did it with Kelvin. Like we all did it. Like it was it was already formally planned. And then my brother back there, my mentor probably pissed at me because they look out for me a lot. But man, it was something that, you know, as an adult, you know, you have the rights to to make these decisions and and sheriff it's good. And I felt like the toad was probably one of the best things that's uh, that's happened to me. Like, honestly, because it, it makes you realize and reflect on what truly matters. I think there's a fear of it just because it's illegal. I really think that's it. And it should be respected. It's very dangerous in that sense that it could not, not that it could do harm to you physically if it's the real deal. It's not going to do harm to you physically. Your body has it in it. Your body knows what to do with it. It's one of the reasons why it's such a quick trip. Your body knows how to bring that stuff back to baseline very quickly. That's why it's only like a 15 minute trip. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not bad for you all the time. I think it's like many, it's, it's a really powerful thing that's it's got to be respected. It could fuck you up if you're not ready. If you have some distorted versions of the world that you're operating under. For me, one of the things that made me feel like right away, one of the first things was realizing how much of like the way I talk about things is like calculated. I was like, I was trying to figure out, like I would say things in a way that I wanted people to say, ooh, he phrased that cool. Like I would, I would try hard to impress people with the way I was saying things. And I was realizing that as I was trying to describe the trip after it was over. I was like, that's interesting. Like, so that probably leads to a disconnect between me and someone who's listening. Because it's not 100% what's going on in my head. It's at least a little bit showmanship and bullshit. And it made me realize that in that moment, like, and I think it probably made me a better everything. Probably made me a better comedian. Probably made me a better podcaster. Also, everything. it's been a minute. When's it, when, when did you do this for the first time? The first time I did it was early 2000s. Oh, so I guess we're looking at like 2002-ish, somewhere around then. Yeah. That was like the first time I did it. Last time I did it was about two years ago. But the last time I did it, I did the other kind, the NN dimethyl treatment. Actually, maybe a little less than two years ago. A little less than two years ago. Um, it was NN dimethyl tryptamine, which is, um, that's the different version. That's the version of it that's in ayahuasca. That's the version of it. There's a bunch of different snuffs and different ways that people try to uh, to get that stuff into their system. But smoking it is the quickest. Smoking it gets you, you vaporize it, and it gets you right to the center of the universe immediately. And um, all those things, you know, I think, man, one of the cool things about life, like what you're talking about in your journey, your journey uh, as, a, as, a, as a man, your journey as a champion, your journey to become better and to, to show what you're capable of, this all of this is because no one gets it right you don't just get it right like you fuck it up and you try to do better and you you fail and then you figure out what went wrong and you you just constantly 
analyze whatever you're doing and obsess on it and you can become better at that thing and through that you can understand that you could be better at anything and i think when you any kind of psychedelic where you have an opportunity to look at yourself just really look at yourself accurately you're not going to like it, <laughs> but it's going to give you great benefit because it's going to give you, you're going to be able to see yourself honestly and see whatever those flaws, does, don't get mad that you have all these flaws, just fix them, just fix them, do your best to fix them and you're not going to get it right because ego's still going to come creeping back in your life <clears throat> and ego's still going to hold on to your legs and drag you down while you're trying to run, you know, <laughs> that's what it is, ego's like hanging on your ankles while you're trying to run, like come on, stay the yeah. same, yeah. but you can't stay the same and get better, the way you get better is to relax and to to realize that you know all all your fuck ups, all the fails, all that that's not you. Just because you lost a match doesn't mean you're a loser. You just yeah. lost. Like yeah. you should be happy that you got this opportunity to feel terrible. Because through that opportunity opportunity to feel terrible, that's where all the growth comes from. If you can survive it, some people can't survive it, right? You all know we all know those guys that were really good in the gym and they had like one or two matches or one or two fights and they just couldn't handle the pressure for whatever reason. They couldn't handle the, the, the things that went wrong and they just didn't want to do it anymore. But they could have been like a world beater. You know, you, you everyone knows that guy. Yeah. Right? And yeah. what is wrong with that guy? Well that guy's got one aspect of your two-part thing that you were talking about heart and ability right he's got one aspect he's got the ability but it's this Not this hard. he's got a missing part and he yeah. doesn't want to look at it because if he wanted yeah. to look at it he would concentrate entirely on that yeah. and he would get better at that but it's hard yeah it's hard to look at yourself psychedelics let you look at yourself like hey stupid look at you <laughs> yeah. remember the last time i did dmt there was a a, a string of jokers like jesters with the bells on dancing in front of me going like this fuck you <laughs> just openly mocking me and i was like oh that must be what i need yeah. i must need that i'm like that's good that's good to see yeah it's that it's definitely uh it's definitely an ego check man big time D dissolves dude. it man like like with mike like he loves it dude and yeah he's you know he he owes it to the to the tone you know what i'm saying like that said that he, he he said that's been a big reason why he's changed his life. You know, Mike wasn't doing so well until yeah. until he tried this, and he, you know, he talks about it all the time on his podcast. So it man, gives it, you if, an opportunity to shift. It's it's healed drug addicts. I mean, drug addicts have mm -hmm. gone from doing all kinds of crazy things. Well, they tried the toe and they completely just left everything. Guys mm -hmm. that they left like almost like a dead man walking to. Hey, he's alive again. He's mm -hmm. here with us. Yeah, I think um, a lot of diseases of addiction are diseases of of despair. Right? It's like disease of the mind and wanting to squash those demons and drown them out. The, the anxiety, the fear, the depression, the, 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 you know, just the p terrible feelings you have about who you are. You know, maybe you're homeless, maybe you're, your life's falling apart, but you're alive right now and you can't handle it. You can't handle where you're at. You can't handle who you are. You can't handle what people have done to you. So you just throw drugs in there. Throw drugs in there. And something like DMT or, um, you know, there's a bunch of different sort of psychedelics that can do it. For a lot of people, it's Ibogaine. Ibogaine is a big one for drug addicts. People have uh, real issues with opiates. Ibogaine knocks it out of the park with those people. It's, it cures a giant number. Put, see what is the, see if you can Google the percentage of people who are cured 
of addictions by ibogaine. Ibogaine is it comes from the I've never done this in, with all due respect. In full disclosure, it's it was uh, it's from the aboga tree. I believe it's from Africa. And there's something about this drug that just kills all ideas that you have of addiction and rewires your brain. <laughs> and it's insanely effective, and but ruthless. It can, it's like a 24-hour experience. Says one oh, my doctor. God. Look at this. <laughs> one doctor reported a 70 to 80% success rate with effective aftercare. He added that when people recovering from meth addiction took Ibogaine, but returned to the same environment where they'd originally abused meth, there was a 90% relapse rate. That's not good. <laughs> so that's terrible. So you have to do it and then get out. Or maybe it's meth. Maybe meth's just like super hard to kick. What's the hardest one to kick? <laughs> yeah. I've never fucked with I've never, there's no, Eddie Bravo and I were talking about this once. He's, we were both saying this, like, there's no meth advocates. Like, people are telling you you should take weed. Like, bro, weed will calm you down. Weed will make you more friendly. There's, there's weed evangelists. There's no, like, meth guys. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's funny. In Ozark, that comes up at the end. She's like, I want to start those treatment centers. Yes, not, yes. At don't, the same time. Don't yeah. spoil it. I was trying to figure out. Yeah, that, you did a good job. Yeah, that, that didn't give away too much enough. But goddamn, it's, uh, it's, there's something about uh, having any sort of a psychedelic experience. and It just makes you realize how, you, how badly you're fucking up. And for some people, that's enough. Like the whole reason why they would do a psychedelic if they were addicted also is because they realized they were fucking up and they're looking for some way to change. You know, those good feelings that you have, man, like when, when you beat... Dominic Cruz and you raise your hands at the end of that fight and you knew it was going to be over You knew it was going to be over. You knew you're you're going to go down in history no matter what even if you step away right now one of, I know you say the greatest, but I mean just in the fairness of experts in combat You in are combat one of the greatest of all time for sure Olympic gold medalist two division world champion. That's that's a unheard of and you're doing it all in this super technical division both of them 25 and 35, super technical divisions. Everybody's a wizard. And then we saw that this weekend, man. Holy shit. What a weekend for the Bantamweight division, right? Yeah, it's exciting, man. There's a lot of there's a lot of good people out there. The resurrection, too, of Cody. <sighs> Dude, uh, Cody looks so good. He didn't just look so good. He looked so fucking fast. So fast and technical. I mean, it was super impressive, but so was Aljamain Sterling. Yeah. Aljamain choking out Sanhagen like that and being able to do it in under two minutes, that's crazy. Yeah, that is, man. That's uh, crazy. And especially the guy who he beat and how he beat it. Uh, Dude. Sanhagen, he's... Sanhagen's a beast. Yeah, he's the, he's the real deal, man. You that know was me. the fight that I was thinking on the card was going to be the most difficult to call. Yeah. I was like, who's going to win yeah. that one? I don't know. Because they're both so good. And Sanhagen's just surging. But Aljo just shut it all down, man. The way he did it, just so intense, right? Like he had hit some new level, you know? You know how sometimes a fighter will just hit a new level? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when you think about him, it's probably hard for you because that's that's your division. Yeah, but I again, his wrestling... I break people down, like, even, even through their mentality. I, I study the fighters I'm going to study. I study their mental game, too, and how they do interviews. And I'll give you two examples. And I, and I feel like uh, I, I feel like Algermain Sterling is uh, at almost the same thing as, as Demetrius Johnson, just in the concept of uh, my wrestling. Just because of my wrestling, I feel extremely confident with my hands, and I know he can't take me down. I know he won't take me down. 
So I know there's a game pack set in place where I can be a little more offensive with somebody mm. like Aljamain Sterling. And obviously, let's talk to let's talk about Sean O'Malley. I'm just I just want to break these dudes okay. down real quick. Okay. Even somebody like him, listen to his interviews, and you you study these guys and you see where, where their mindset is and where their holes are going to be. It's like they had asked him, you know, who do you want to? They asked Sean O'Malley, who do you want to fight next? And he's like, you know, I just want to fight. You know, I just want to fight the best strikers. Like he never mentioned about I'll take anybody out. I'll take anybody in the top ten or fifteen or whatever. Because in my opinion, he hasn't really beat somebody that's like, okay, man, you're the real deal. Even though he did beat Wyland and he was a contender, but it's it's been a long time. And well, I hear he's a young kid that's learning the sport while we're watching him on the UFC. That's what's crazy about him. I mean, you you go back to. Dana White's contender show, and he was looser, wilder, you know, fun to watch, but not nearly as sharp. Like yeah. now, he's he's on a completely different level. Knocking out Wineland like that, faking the uppercut, and then just following over the top with a straight right hand and catching him slipping. I mean, that was that was fantastic. But that's that's the point that I'm trying to get to is it's 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 a striking game for him right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, dude, there is a whole nother aspect, and that's called wrestling and jiu-jitsu. And that phone I've heard he's he has developed pretty good jiu-jitsu, but there's that other art that I want to see when you really get tested and you're taking it to deep waters, then I'll see your real colors. Then I'll be he like, does. okay, man, you are ready to take on anybody in the top five. I'm going to give you a good example of that. Yair Rodriguez when he fought Frankie Edgar. That was a good example of that. As Frankie Edgar was just, that wrestling was too strong. That ground and pound was too strong. He couldn't keep him off him. He just couldn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And that was a great example of that because Yair was this f super flashy kicker. I mean, Yair, to me, has some of the best kicks I've ever seen inside the octagon. Wild, flashy shit. Remember when he threw that, he threw uh, against BJ, he hit him with a 360 roundhouse kick to the face? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Bro, that's crazy that shit to pull off in a fight. Yeah. 360 roundhouse kicked him in the face. Yair yeah. was a beast, and everybody was like really thinking, you know, he's on a short path to the title. But the big hole was that wrestling. That yeah. was it was exposed by how elite Frankie is and how, how nasty Frankie's ground and pound is. It was a a major beatdown, you know, and that's one of those fights where you watch a guy and you go, this guy, it's it's all about styles because yeah. it's all about, you know, whether, you know, if you if he found someone that played his game, like, oh, shit, he's good at that game. But what Frankie did is just completely impose his game, just drag him down and beat him up. And then we don't know what would happen with O'Malley when it comes to that, but I know who he is as a person and he's working. He's working on everything. That kid is, he's focused as fuck. He keeps getting better and better and better, <clears throat> like in a trippy way. Like when you saw him come back after two years off, you know, two years dealing with a bunch of bullshit. I forget what he was suspended for. I don't remember what it was. Was it, was it, a, was it marijuana? That doesn't make sense. Tainted supplements? Yeah, something in protein or something like that. Yeah. Anyway. I'm interested. It, yeah, I'm and interested. it is, and, and it's and it's making the Bantamweight division with guys like that. It's making it exciting, man. Oh, it's so exciting! First it's, of all, we didn't even talk. Well, you, you got Piotr Jan versus Jose Aldo for your title. Does it still feel like yours? I let it go, Joe. I let it go. Honestly, honestly, I let it go, man. They can, they can all kill each other. That's how I feel. I'm so happy. Dude. I'm so satisfied, you Joe. Look honestly, happy. you look happy. The point so, is, like, what a division. Unless, yeah. unless you cross me with something here, I don't know what you. Uh... No, it's all good, bro. It's all good. <laughs> Um, I'm really excited about that uh, Jose Aldo 
uh, Piotr Jan fight, but I'm, it's fascinating to me that they decided to give the fight to Aldo, even though Marais won the decision. That's a real interesting choice, isn't it? Because uh, although I, I agree with the decision, I think, or excuse me, I, I agree with Aldo. I think Aldo won that fight. I think it was a really close fight, but I thought Aldo won the fight. Um, but it was close. It was really close. But the fact that the judges gave it to Marlon, and then the UFC is like, nah, player, <laughs> we're yeah. going to have Aldo fight Piotr. And part of it is because Aldo is obviously a huge draw and one of the greatest of all time, particularly greatest featherweights of all time. Well, remember, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna change your mind on that. It's actually, it's really my fault. <laughs> it's your fault. Yeah, it's my fault that Jose Aldo's fighting for the belt because that's who I was originally supposed to fight with, Dominic. But this whole COVID uh... thing happened, so Aldo was gonna fight for the title. And then it's like you can't do that to him. So the UFC, you know, they stuck to their word. They gave. Him oh, the that's shot. interesting. Still, though, or, or at least I think well, if that... Eddie was here, we could debate, man. But uh... that makes sense. <laughs> that 100 percent makes sense. That makes sense. It's, listen, I'm happy for both fights. I would happy. I'd be happy if Marlon fought Piotr Jan for the title, or I'd be happy if uh, Aldo fought him. I'd be happy if Marlon and Aldo fought again. Like, there's great fights in that division. Now that you've stepped down, really, for I, now? the people that I think that should fight for the belt would be uh, Aljamain Sterling and, uh, and 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 Peter. Or I'm gonna call him Peter, man. Peter. You know, I ain't gonna I ain't gonna get that off. It was uh, it was it was Peter for a while. We were supposed to call him Peter, <laughs> and then they said no, it's Piotr, Piotr, Piotr. It's like Fedor. You know, Fedor's real name's not Fedor. It's Fyodor. Yeah. It's so rude. We could but have even, said Fyodor. Yeah, but even somebody like Peter Yarman, like how dangerous is he really? Yeah, he beat Uriah, but Uriah's been out for a minute. Yeah, you I know. Think, besides Uriah, who's what's another big name that that dude has beaten? No, well, clearly he's very good. There's no doubt about it. Whether or not he's at your level, you don't find out until he fights a guy like you, or he fights a guy like Aldo. That's when we find out what's up. Okay. But we know he's really good. You know, the the way he beat up Uriah is it's not just that he beat him. He he beat him up. And, you know, Uriah is always going to be a tough out. He's a tough guy, man. He's a yeah. super skilled, super seasoned guy. Uriah has been around forever. You know, he's he's fought so many good guys. He knows how to survive. And to see Piotr beat him up like that, it's like, wow. And he's fucking strong, man. He's fucking strong. Like, he's got that weirdo Russian strength, yeah. you know? Yeah, he, Just, is, he, is, he is dangerous. He's, he's got power. He throws knees. He yes. throws off the clinch. Yep, yep, dangerous. He's, he's dangerous. He's technical. When I see a guy like that, it's like he's technical and he has malice. And when someone's technical and they have malice, it's like, wow, yeah. that's, that's what I have. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and I can recognize yeah. that. Yeah, malice is a good way of putting it. What Mike Tyson would call bad intentions. Yeah. Yeah, that's, he's got it. So, like, the division's never been more exciting, you know? And there's still guys like Jimmy Rivera, still a dangerous, dangerous fighter. There's like a, there's That's what a, I'm saying, Joe. You think, they'll, division. you think they'll miss me? They're going to miss you anyway, man. Come on. They're they hated miss the you. cringe. No, no, no. Listen, they you did a great it. job with all that cringy shit. You made people pay attention. I thought it was genius. Knowing you, who you really are, seeing yeah. this character that you're did doing. Did I get you, though? Yeah, oh, I was laughing hard, are you, man. Are you, are you ready for me to become the intergender world champ? <laughs> well, you're telling Valentina to bend the knee. I was crying. I was crying. Uh, like, that is so funny. Can we pull up some pictures of that? <laughs> Of the intergender world champ. That is hilarious. <laughs> what made you decide? Just like, look, I need something. I need something to market no, myself. No, it was actually no. I wasn't even. Oh my god, this is kind of a. It's funny, but it's somebody high profile that 
dared me to. I'm like, dude, I can't do that. He challenged me so much. He's like, I dare you. You know, I was like, ah, all right. So I ended up doing the video, and then I was like, God, dude, what am I doing? Oh, I that's hilarious. But look at what it's done, Joe. Like we saved, I saved, I saved an entire division, man, because Dana White wanted to cut its neck off, and he told me that. There's something about what you did that's like, this is what Connor did. This is what Chael Sonnen was probably the best at it. The, the original Chael Sonnen is the yeah. original <laughs> yeah. pro wrestling style yeah. shit talker in MMA <laughs> that really made people hyped up about fights. I mean, you got to give credit to Chael because before Chael, there was, you know, I'm going to fuck him up. I'm going to kick his ass. People always talk shit, but they never talk shit with a, with a, an entertainer's flair <laughs> yeah. the way Chael did. I mean, even though you kind of knew that Chael was in over his head in some of those fights, like with John Jones, I, I had a real deep feeling he was in over his head with Anderson Silva in the second fight in particular. You know, I, I just had a feeling he was in over his head, but he would still talk so much shit. It was so fun. <laughs> and it made the fights way bigger. They should all thank him. Thank you for what you said about my mother. Thank you for, what, shit, thank, yeah. thank you for all that crazy shit you said because that that's what really uh, sold that fight. Yeah. They all made more money because of him. Yeah, they all, uh, man, and the thing is, is what I admire about that now, like a guy like Kobe, obviously Connor, even Ronda. I think Ronda was more of a persona. It was more the fact that the pressure that comes with that shit, like, dude, that's like a whole nother fight. And yes. you have to make sure that you got to live up to your expectations. <laughs> right. You remember me throwing shit out the shit? bag yes. and, and with the pillow? <laughs> What'd you think of the pillow stuff? Like, I'm like, dude, I really got to be Dominic's ass, dude. <laughs> I know the pillows with the heads on them and you're kicking the yeah. pillows with different guys' heads. But, dude, it was funny. <laughs> it was funny. It does put extra pressure on you, right? It because does. if you lose, people are so happy. But check this out. This is how crazy I am. That pressure, man, I channel, I channel that thing. And I, I, I almost love it, Joe. Like, mm. It's crazy. Like I like feeling Look a little at you scared. you the pillows. <laughs> Laying in bed with your belts. And the pillows with TJ's head and DJ's head. It's hilarious. The king of cringe, bend <laughs> the knee. So what what did your friend, that you won't say the person's name, can you say what he, what their name rhymes with? Man, I, I, I no, can't. Don't throw them I can't, Don't yeah. throw them. Tell me later. But what did what did they say to you? Like, I want you, you have to come up with this character? <laughs> Is that what they said to you? No. I, I think it was... After I beat Demetrius Johnson, I went to the to the Apex fight with, uh, and I happened to be there and randomly, and then obviously Dana was there at the fights, and I pulled him aside. I was like, "Hey, Dana, let's, you know, how are you, whatnot?" And he actually wanted to talk to me, so I was like, "Hey, come to my office." So I ended up, you know, going from the fights to his office, and we're, you know, I was in his red Ferrari, freaking really nice too, man. And he's like, "Hey, bud, I just want to let you know that, uh, you know, that I'm think I'm think um, I'm thinking about getting rid of the division, or I'm I'm gonna get rid of the division." This is what right after I beat Demetrius Johnson, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, mm. there's new blood. And uh, he told me straight up, and I'm just like, man, I, I have to do something, man. Like, if if I don't if I don't start speaking up, if I don't start being hated, like my division is gonna drown, man. It's, and it's up to me. And I felt like that's something that Demetrius never did. So did I tell you why. It wasn't entertaining. It was um, <gasps> pe people don't. Uh, people don't pay attention. I, I think because Demetrius was so dominant, like they don't appreciate true art, man. Like, mm. Demetrius was so dominant that he hurt a division because there's, like, it gets born. There has to be a storyline a storyline to people. And Demetrius wasn't the most personable dude in the world. So then I took that upon myself when he said that. I was like, well, I'm going to have to come up with a gimmick. You know, I was <laughs> originally, originally I was supposed to go up to 135 pounds. Right. And, uh... 
And I brought TJ down because if I was going to go up to uh, 235 pounds, they were, they were going to strip me from my belt. Mm. It was like, this is the contract. And that was the original plans for me to go up. But then I decided to come down and keep the division and kind of fight for it. L let's talk about that fight because that was a crazy situation, right? First of all, TJ looked like dead man walking, going to the weigh-ins. Like I said, as bad as anybody I've ever seen besides Travis Luter. I mean, Travis Luter was a dehydration thing. TJ had starved himself down to a skeleton. It was real weird. And then when you found out that he has taken EPO, and then he said that he was taking EPO because he just didn't have any energy from cutting that weight. I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what the answer. My brother and I were talking about that yesterday. I, I'm not sure what it was, but I'm just, uh, I felt sick inside when I found out, Joe. Like it's, it's like a sadness that it brings to you because, dude, it's like, yeah, we may talk stuff, you know, to each other, whatnot, but it's, it doesn't get that personal. Oh, it shouldn't get that personal for somebody to take an EPO, man. Something that, a drug that you just will never get tired of and fight that dude with these four ounce gloves. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a little bit of malice there, man. So I remember that day I called, I, talk, I talked to my brother, I talked to my mom, like, dude, as thick skinned as we grew up and whatnot, like, this is hurting me, man. What would you have done if you found out before the fight? If they gave you the option? I felt so, so if they, good. If they, pulled, if they pulled you aside and said, listen, Henry. The fight's going to go on, but we got an issue. It turns out we just got TJ's drug sample back, and he tested positive for EPO. You can still fight him if you want to. We're going to strip him. We're going to, even if he wins, we're going to strip him. We're going to fine him and keep him from fighting for two years. He's going to get convicted yeah. of using this stuff, but you could choose to fight him. Just don't tell anybody. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's my deal, man. You can, hey, if you're going to ask can, you a question like that, I got one for you, too. Oh, but, okay. But a guy can, they can say, like a guy misses weight by five pounds, he can still fight you. That's a fucking big advantage. He didn't have to cut those extra five? You know how many yeah. times guys miss weight and still win? Yeah. It's big. Yeah. It's a big number. When guys miss weight and wind up winning the fight, I believe, um, who was talking about that? Some, some, one, of the, one of the commentators, might have been Dominic Cruz. Um, he was talking about guys missing weight and then wind up, winding up winning the fight because they have an advantage. They mm -hmm. didn't cut the weight. They, 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 like you, they, you, we all know there's a certain point in time where you shouldn't lose any more weight. But we also know there's a dark land where most people don't want to travel through, where you can make it through, you could get to that point where you don't want to do it anymore. You're fucking dying inside, but you stay in there an extra 20 minutes and you make the weight. Or some people don't. But the guy who doesn't, look, it's bad for your body to cut that much weight. The guy who leaves those extra five pounds on his body, that's a big advantage. That's big. Yeah, it, it is, but also, it, it is actually, it is. But What's not, bigger, that or EPO? <laughs> EPO, I EPO. imagine, man. Yeah, because, man, TJ was saying how good he felt. He yeah. never felt so good in his life. I'm just like, I'm just hearing it from him. Yeah. But also in that fight, that's when I felt like the most prepared, Joe. Like I felt even till now, my career, I, like I'm retired, like I'm really done. And that's the best that I've ever felt, man, against TJ Dillashaw. So I, I think to answer that question, I think I still would fight him for that reason, man. Because I did everything natural and I used science. And mm. uh, Well, you, you had a really interesting team with you the last time you were here. Um, the, what they're called Neuroforce. Yeah, Neuroforce one. And I mean, let's without having people go back and listen to that podcast. Give me this rundown of what they did in terms of like your reaction times and all all that specific sports specific 
neuro shit they were doing with you because it was really I say neuro shit because I'm a moron yeah, I don't yeah, know what the yeah. term is yeah. but it's fascinating listening to them talk about how they used real science and data to mark your performance yeah I think everything from like the morning by the time I wake up I have the Omega Wave and a lot of the credit that I do owe to is out at the USCPI with uh, Roman uh, the the physiologist down there and uh it was, uh, you know, I wake up every morning. I do. I use Omega Wave, which tells me like, uh, which gives me my heart rate ability. It kind of gives me my windows. What of, is it called? Omega Wave. Yeah, Omega Wave. So and this is it's, a, it's a chest a, strap. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a chest that when you wake up, when you, the first thing you do before you brush your teeth or anything is you put this strap on it, and, and you know, it, it's 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 taking levels of like uh, of your heart rate. So it allows you and lets you know according to your rate, your heart rate, how hard you're able to train that day. So it gives it into like you got your window of trainability mm. like how hard you should go and it kind of measures a lot of your training so I do that every morning and then obviously I've done testing with them from balance like just body scan DEXA scans like a bunch of things and crazy amounts of uh, of testing to kind of figure more out of like my biomechanics and things of that matter so I only have about three to four hard workouts like uh, a week. Like I don't do no more than than maybe even three. Really? Because it's all according because it's it's about you understanding your threshold. And I think where a lot of fighters don't succeed is they they exert that and then they want to fight that and then next you know it they're on the ground or they're losing. So they're not optimizing their performance by giving themselves an ample amount of recovery. They're training too hard too often. And, and yes, and using a lot more recovery. Like what I do down there is I, I do a lot of infrared lighting. I, I do uh, altitude uh, altitude pod capsules, uh, the technology that they have. Like there's certain headphones that helps, you know, activate like everything in your body. Like it's... Uh, it's the new age thing with a lot of like uh, like pressure machines and and things of that matter. A lot of like you doing a lot of mobility exercises. Mm. Like it's crazy how powerful and how strong you become just through doing mobility, man. Understanding posture. Mm. So you know, big shout out to my strength coach Andre Hicks and uh, uh, Kevin Longoria, uh, Kareem Amin, and everybody down there because they're they're revolutionizing, man. I feel like what. With M I feel like I'm ahead on the curve when it comes to understanding how to do a proper camp for MMA. Mm. Where I'm not extremely killing myself. I'm loving the sport through the process. Like, it doesn't always have to be a crazy battle. That's a, a big revelation for a lot of people. They're hearing this from you, and they're like, oh, shit, that's crazy. This might literally shift the way people train because so many guys are out there leaving it all in the gym. They're so tough, and they're trying to condition themselves, but there's a there's a... There's like a tipping point where you're working too hard and you're always sore and your body doesn't have a chance to recover and you don't grow. You don't get better. You just sort of maintain. And that's where a lot of guys wind up getting injured as well. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff, too, it's like when I do my training, it's like I revolve all my training around my sparring. Like my sparring is my most important thing. So I almost number my workouts on how numbers that should be that day. So I'm going to give you an example. On Monday, it could be a, it could be a seven and an eight, two practices, right, on Monday. The next day, they're going to be more of like a four and a five or a five and a six. It all depends on your uh, on your max, you know what I mean, on your, uh, you know, your performance and all the testing that they've done. So, but on Wednesday, this is where I got to deliver, and this is where I have to give the 10. So this is a sparring day? Yes, it's a sparring day. And there's so, only one sparring day a week? Uh, there's two. So one's technical, 
and the other one is all right man this is we have the ref i got a, i got a doctor in there like literally man it's legit like every time i spar the music comes out my opponent's music my music i walk out really? i get checked yeah Really? Yeah, it's it's done every time uh, during camp. You know, my 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 coach, Captain Eric Alberson. He's uh, we've been able to simulate and emulate everything that we that we're gonna do in a fight. Like even my training, like my training is not me doing jujitsu for two hours and then at night I do boxing. Like no, no, no. I'm in there place sparring, seeing where I'm doing good in place sparring, and then adjusting what I saw in place sparring with the coaches individually. And then I'm giving 20 minutes to my to, to that, and then I give 20 minutes to my striking with pad work, or it could be with the partner. But I'm going the whole time. You see what I'm saying? So I'm collaborating everything together, simulating the fight as much as possible, being uh, being very uh, detailed in my training. And then when it comes to sparring, that's that's the real deal. That's where I have to shine, and that's how I show myself how good I'm becoming. Are you using? Are you taking notes? Like, how are you keeping track of your progress? Are you just knowing in your head, or are you... I know it, and I feel it, man. I also have, like, a communication with my coaches where they know that I'm extremely honest. Man, I'm not feeling well. I'm not... There's mm. some something... I need to rest another two, three hours before I go train today, guys. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it's a very selfish-style training, and... Uh, that's a big advantage. Yeah, being the champ. yeah. It's it's. I I am giving a lot of knowledge here, man. But this is you know that's who I am, and I want to share what I have. I but think I've never heard anybody break it down that way. Particularly the fact that I don't think I've ever heard. If I don't, if I did, I did, I forgot. Anybody doing that where you have your opponent's walkout music, you have your walkout music, you have a referee, you you do the whole thing like a fight. I, I've never I heard anybody do that, yeah. but that makes sense. And particularly if you do it at the Apex Center, where there's no crowd. Yeah, it is like doing it in your gym. Mm-hmm. And this is how we train for Dominic. Like th this last camp that I had was like the best. This camp that I had with Dominic was like the best fight that uh, the best fight camp I've ever had, man. Like the best because I've I learned from like everything that I've done, man. Mm. I've I, it's almost like I've built this team. Like I don't I'm not from a team necessarily, but I build this team around me according to every opponent that I fight. So mm. everybody's moving and everybody's mimicking Dominic Cruz and vice versa for TJ for Marlon. Like it's. And these dudes are being compensated. These dudes are being paid. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like it's, it's, a, it's a real business. Not just, hey, just go out there and spar them. Right. Try, uh, try everything that you do. It's yeah. like that. That's to me, that's, that's, like a, that's, like cut, that's like a chicken with his head cut off. Like you're not, are you truly improving? Right. Well, what you're saying, all of it 100% makes sense. I mean, it's brilliant. Doing it that way is brilliant. And in the process, man, you cut all the bullshit out. There's things in jujitsu that doesn't work as a wrestler, which I love. There's things in wrestling that doesn't work and boxing. It's the distance is different, like all this. So you almost have to mimic everything that you do mm. in a very technical sense. So when you do this, are you wearing normal four ounce gloves, the whole deal? Um, no, they're more like the sparring gloves, like the you know thicker. the puffier ones, yeah. Because you don't want to. I mean, have you fucked with any of those Onyx ones? Yeah, that yeah, with, yeah. With yeah, how those, goddamn those are, good are those? Those are awesome, man. Those I think are the I, best MMA gloves I've ever felt. Once these guys decide to truly launch and whatnot, like I think that company could could completely take over. Like the, that's what I'm saying. They make the best shit. Mm -hmm. Dude, he's such a madman about it too. Trevor was on the podcast with Justin and describing his process of making those gloves. 
he, he got me a pair of them and he let me try on those MMA ones. When you compare them to the UFC one side to side, you're like, what? Yeah. Like, this is, these are crazy good. They're so much better. They're, they're so well designed. Like everything about it, man. Yeah. So it's engineered. Yeah. Does the padding is better? It's better padding. It feels the better. Headgear. Yes. No, he's a wizard. Yeah. He, he makes, so you're wearing a slightly larger MMA glove. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly larger. And I, I get Vaseline. The, the the pep talks like I'm I'm saying bye to everybody and you mm. it feels so normal for me to compete Joe like it's it's crazy it really does feel like a sparring session man. that's so genius that you you reenact it every week yeah so every that you week you get accustomed man. to it every week and sometimes you're cranking sometimes you're pissed but that's even part of how you're gonna feel during fight week you know how many times I fight with my coach man like it's crazy <laughs> yeah, Eric like it's like Captain Eric because it's like man we're like brothers like he's a coach but he's a brother but he, you know what I'm right, saying right right so yeah. it simulates the fight. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. That's a genius idea, man. It really is. And so um, who's mapping out your training camps, like in terms of like when you do strength and conditioning? When, when do you, is it a collaborative effort? It's a collaborative effort. And a lot of it, I, I, I have to pay attention to, to science. So there's things that my coach have to say. There's things that I have to say, but it's truly like the science. So in yeah. terms of your recovery? And, yeah. 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 And then what should I eat? Like everything's calculated on how hard I'm going to go like this. So my meals are prepped. According to every day, how hard I'm gonna go. Really? Yeah. So there's times where I'm doing fives where I'm not gonna eat, like like when I'm doing a ten during sparring. You know what I'm saying? And does this go with in terms of your preparation, like your pre-workout meals as well? Uh, yes. So like if you know you're gonna spar on Wednesday at mm -hmm. what time in the afternoon do you spar? Um, sometimes we even simulate the time that we're actually fighting. Oh, okay. So you yeah, not, like always, not always, not always. You don't want to, you know? Right? Yeah, you don't want to always do that. Um, when would you eat? So like if you were gonna fight at Eight o'clock at night. When would you eat? Oh my god! But that's again a lot of that stuff. You would have to say preference, man. Like yeah. personally, I like to have like a big, a big brunch, and I so and I only have yeah. What, two o'clock yeah, in the afternoon. About two o'clock, two thirty. So you give yourself like five, six hours. Yeah, because your nerves, like if for some reason, like your nerves, it's hard to digest your food when you're nervous. You know what I'm saying? When you're anxious to do something. So what kind of food do you eat before you fight? Um, eggs, pancakes. Uh, and obviously, I need the carbs and whatnot. Yeah. Um, just I would just eat normal, like bacon. Like I eat pretty clean throughout throughout the whole camp. But you don't have like specific pre-fight meals that you. No, really... no. But I, I think at that point, it's just the psychology side of it. You mm. know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm gonna eat what what uh, the serotonin in my mind, like the happiness in me, that what it wants. You know what I'm saying? Because I I'm I'm gonna deserve it when I when I fight that night. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a treat. Like, it, it, it brings happiness to right. you. I couldn't do that, man. The first time I lost at Demetrius, I, was eat, I eat chicken breast. Like, right after I beat him and, 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 and veggies. Like, I was super light, but I had no fat in me. And, I got, you know, mm. I, got, I got put out. And I, yeah. I, a lot of them, I, I owe them. You have to have every stone. You have to, you know, turn every stone, man, because there's a lot of details, man. It's very complex, man. And if you can understand the game on, on the recovery, on the nutrition, on the happiness, on the, on the preparation, on the game planning, all that, I mean. Who d so let me ask you this. Who is uh, this company that puts these meals together? They're, they're basing it on when you say like yeah, the meal so depends upon the workout. Like how are they? How are they doing that? Like, give they're me an speaking, example. They're speaking to the physiologists at Neuroforce. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So it's almost like there's, there's a team of, and shout out to them too, man. France Kitchen. There's a team of, of man, maybe twelve people, man. There's wow. A, there's a guy that goes in there every time I fight, 
and he's monitoring my heart rate every time. Like he's, he's hey, slow down, slow down. And he'll, he'll tell the coach and the coaches will tell me like, it's all, there's a dude in there warming me up before I go train, like at my gym, like a personal trainer every single day. Do they give you anything specifically right after you're done training <clears throat> to sort of recovery, anything for like replenish glycogen? Yeah. Yeah. So that's immediately, uh, what is it? You can, I get, you can every, every, every what is time. that? It's, a, it's just, it's just the protein. Oh, okay. It's just a protein that I take soon right after. And even the watermelon, like alkaline water. Mm-hmm. So it's all just down to every T is crossed and every I is dotted. Mm-hmm. It's all down to the science. Yeah, it's fun. And I That's think really if, interesting. And I think if I have a gift in anything, so I really, I've never seen myself coach, Joe. I think being a coach is, <laughs> I think being a coach is probably the hardest job, man, because you got to deal with pride and then you, and sometimes they leave you or not. But if, anyways, if there's one thing that I could do and help people with as if I was a coach, would be game planning, actually putting like a game plan together and understanding and putting a putting a solid team together. When did you start doing this thing where you would emulate your opponent's walkout music and your walkout music and the whole deal? Since we started, since we fought Demetrius and since I started having success, actually since Wilson Hayes. So as soon as I lost to Benavides, I fought Wilson Hayes and then since there, and then it got a little more serious when I fought Demetrius. And then so forth, we just got better, better throughout camp. So that was when you decided, okay, we're going to make some wholesale changes. And this is a big one. We're going to reenact. Is it your idea to do it that way? I had to. I had no choice. Yeah. Because but of, I mean, your idea to introduce the fighter and have you introduced and the whole deal, have the walkout music. No, a lot of that was my coach. And then a lot of it's me like, all right, man, well, let's take it to, another, to yeah. the next level. Like, put me in the back. Hey, Cejudo up in five. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. And right. I've noticed that since I've done that, Joe, like it's been like, dude, I feel like I'm walking out there. Why is Sahuda getting so better, dude? It's the comfort um, of how I feel, man. Like it, it's a it's a tactical thing that we developed. Yeah, you've yeah. You've figured out a way to make it a normal part of your life. Exactly. That's a big thing about fighters returning, right? The taking a long time off and then coming back, it's very difficult because everything feels weird, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember they were talking about that with Sugar Ray Leonard. When Sugar Ray Leonard was uh, in the process of making one of his comebacks, that one of the things they did is they they put together, it might have been for the Hagler fight, they put together fights in the gym, like that, a real fight in the gym. So just get used to it. Like he would fight 12 rounds in the gym. Yeah. I guess it's, it's I guess you go back to it's all, it's all just simulating, man. It's not. But, yeah. but but this is the thing. The biggest problem that I've seen, because I've gone through a lot of coaches now, is getting all the coaches on the same page and mm. getting all the coaches, you know, getting them to commit on science. Is that all your response? Do you have to handle everybody or does someone, does no, Captain somebody, Eric handle yeah, it? Yeah, Captain, Captain does. Like he does, he does all that. And, uh, you know, not, not just that, but even like uh, for me, it's like stem cells. I'm like, I, I did stem cells in Colombia with Bio Accelerator out in uh, Colombia about six months ago, right after my fight. And man, I felt so good for this. If I used to have a jacked up neck, stem cells, like they did a whole, uh, you know, they did a, they, they did all the scans you could think of, you know, from x-rays to uh, MRIs and whatnot. And, uh, you know, they would pinpoint like where my uh, my body was, was an ache. And uh, they just started injecting stem cells on me, man, all over my neck, Whoa. parts of my body that I've never experienced before. And immediately my neck started like the same, almost the same day, man. My neck started feeling better, and ever since then, and uh, ever since then, I, I think three months into it, I, man, my neck was 100%. Man, I wrestled my whole life. Wow. <laughs> my neck jacked up. 
So many people have jacked up necks from wrestling too. Yeah. Backs, backs, necks, so that's, knees and shoulders. That's been a big part of my uh, my rec- my recovery and using. Do you remember um, specifically what kind of stem cells they were using? Did they tell you? Well, this it's done in Colombia, so it's the the stem cells are being pulled, you know, from a baby's umbilical cord. So then, um, you know, so. I don't necessarily know the full science of it, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 I guess the basic side of it, but man, I can tell you my, my body feels good. Yeah. It's real shit, man. It works. You know, I've, uh, have had stem cells done on my knee, my shoulder. I've had uh, a bunch of different things done, little injuries. I've and you've also, done, and you've done that here? Yeah, I've done it yeah. here. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same level because what I was, when I was ex- explaining it to, or, uh, talking to, uh, um, one of my friends about it. They said, "What's the difference between that and what they're doing in Panama?" Like Dr. Neil Reardon, he has this clinic down there in Panama. They send a lot of fighters down there as well. Uh, I think they're allowed to do anything. They, I mean, they can get buck wild. They could fill you up with stem cells, <laughs> like yeah. whatever limitations they might have here in America. They don't. They could just. They have a fat syringe yeah. with them. Just fucking <laughs> get in there. I don't know. I really I, wish I knew. Yeah, I don't know if this is true, Joe, or maybe you could look it up. I don't know if the, I don't know if even animals. I don't know if the, somebody says something is done with the with the a stem cells of an animal of a horse. I think what? And they're using it on humans. On humans? I don't know if you want. <laughs> well. See, that would be weird, man, if people started growing, like, horse hair all over their body. Damn, that's a trip. <laughs> it, took, right? like, take this, it didn't happen for two years, and two years later, people start growing hair, weird hair on their chest and shit. You know I mean, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think along the lines of all this uh, medical experimentation, we're going to get some pretty spectacular results, and some of them are going to be bad. It just makes sense. Someone in some other country... It's going to take, they probably already have, they're probably taking some chances and mixed a person with a crocodile or something. You know, <laughs> you don't think they've probably done that in some places. Right. Shit. For sure. Right. China. It's crazy what our world is coming to, man. And how, what it's, how different it's like the, these last 10 years, man, how different has it been? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This last 10 months, last 10 weeks, things have been crazy. Yeah. It's a weird time to be alive. Things are happening very rapidly. From the invention of the cell phone to uh, social media to uh, the ability to share videos and you know, be, for people to get information, for people to find out about world events, for people to get together and, 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 and try to make change. It's just a different world, man. It's a different world in good ways and in bad ways. It's a different world. People are more disconnected than ever while being more connected than ever. Yeah. There's a lot of things, a lot of things about this life that are really weird. You think our world's getting better? I have hope, man. When I see, like, yesterday there was <clears throat> part of the George Floyd protest in downtown L.A. had filled this. It's a craziest picture, man. You see the picture of the street filled with people, all nonviolent. So all the, the looting and all that shit seems to have stopped. And now the people that remain seems to be, they seem to be dedicated to change in a way that I can't remember anything like this in my life. I think this is, this has a real, this, this man's murder has a real chance of changing the world and changing America for sure. I think it really does. It has a chance in, in further bridging the divide between people and to, to get people to look at things in a, in a better way. Like, look how many people got together for this. Look how many people. I mean, it's, it's, it, it had the real bad parts in the beginning with the looting, but I don't think, there can, I don't think this is the same people. 
I think yeah. those are people that are broke because COVID kept them locked up in their fucking house for a month at a time without <laughs> any ability to make any money. And I think people saw free shit and then everything got wild and it was jumping off and people were smashing windows and a lot of people just stole shit. That's what I think. But I don't think that's the same thing that's happening. I think that's happening along with this protest. And the, but the protest is, the protest is pretty fucking amazing when, yeah. you, when you think that this, in our time... We've never had a, a moment like this where literally the whole country is getting together and saying uh, things yeah. have to change and stop. They're, they're defunding the Minneapolis Police Department, man. Yeah. What, what about, so... Uh, I, was, I don't think I, I was, good idea. Yeah, so I, I was too young, I guess, so I would ask you for this. The Ronnie King shit? Yeah, the Ronnie King, yeah. <clears throat> I wasn't here for that. I watched it on TV, but I was in New York. I came here right after the Rodney King mm -hmm. shit. But the thing about the Rodney King shit was it was confined to L.A., you know, people weren't ri rioting about Ronnie King in New York. It was just an L.A. thing. These riots were all over the country, man. I mean, the Freddie, what, what, what happened is, what was that guy's name in um, Baltimore? Freddie Gray? Yeah, that was the last big one I remember. That was about five years ago. And when Freddie Gray was killed by the cops, they went crazy in Baltimore and lit everything on fire and smashed everything. But it was still just Baltimore, mm -hmm. you know? With George Floyd, it's the whole yeah. country. Yeah, it's, now, it, now it's just an excuse to... It was. To <laughs> it's, this is what it is, man. It's like people are fed up, people are pissed. Yeah, but it's also... They're also broke, man. They got... And not, not, it's not through any fault of their own. They got stuck in this COVID thing like we all did, and they were forced to not be able to work for months yeah. and months at a time. And most of them still aren't back at work, right? So they're broke and they're fucked and then this is a chance to steal some shit. I don't condone it. I don't condone it. But I saw a lot of what looked like high school kids running out of those things holding boxes of sneakers. Like, they just were taking advantage of free shit. And yeah, there's some bad people in there too. There's some criminals in there too. There's some people that lit, you know, churches on fire. There's some people that did some horrible shit. But I think the, the whole movement is not connected to that. That's just some people that did some shit taking advantage of a moment in time where everything went haywire. But the people that are marching, they're doing it very peacefully in these enormous groups. I think it's got a real chance of, of being something that, that changes the way cops interact with people. It's got a real chance because it's so big. Yeah, I guess as a fighter, like you don't, you don't, like you ever like rough play with your friends when you're a little kid, and then all sure. of a sudden there's like a mosh pit, and then next you know you're freaking you're you know you're you're being suffocated, but all but by everybody's way, like that feeling, like these cops, they think you know sometimes the people that are being arrested, they're they're fighting men because dude, that's a lot of pressure on the neck, or that's a yes. lot of pressure on the stomach and things right. like that. And the, you know, so they can make the excuse that you're resisting arrest, but look, everyone's gonna resist when you put your fucking shin on their neck. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's crazy. That's torture. And also the way the guy was lying down when he had a shin on his neck, he was lying with his neck against like this drain. So there's this like this like cement drain area and his neck is right there. So his shin is on the top of his neck and then the drain area is the bottom. It's fucking horrible. It's horrible to watch, man. It's like you're watching a guy getting tortured to death. Like something has to be done. Now, I don't, I don't think it's defund the police. I think it's definitely get rid of anybody like that guy. And it's retrain them, train them with, where they realize that like there's a chance to there's a chance to do this correctly.
you you, you have a, an, an amazing job being a police officer is is incredible responsibility and it takes an incredibly powerful person to do it and not abuse the power that you have because people have a tendency when someone says why do i have to do that because i fucking told you i'm the cops like that's what they're doing when they have that kind of power they just go yeah. to it right away it's uh you you get you need exceptional people and there's a lot of people that aren't exceptional and s some of those become cops and you see these non-exceptional people who are cops who abuse the fuck out of the power that they're they've been given that's the problem i don't think the problem is that we don't need cops like jesus christ if someone's breaking in your house you want to be able to call the cops if you got a real problem in your life and you know there's something going wrong you want to be able to call the cops yeah. but they have the cops have to have a better relationship with the people in their communities yeah, man. I think out of all this craziness going on, I think at the end, I think people are starting to unite. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, even even through this whole COVID stuff, not not so much what happened with, uh, like, I think it's it's made people more aware, man, that, that anything could come and go. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at look at it was a revelation for me. Look at look at Kobe Bryant's situation, man. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, yeah. Even the the most wealthy of people could die because of a mistake yeah. in a helicopter. You know, you, nothing's going to save you. So. You don't get saved. I mean, the most beloved of people, it doesn't matter. You slam into a mountain, you slam into a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. But I, th I think through this whole tragedy, I think I think everybody will be uh, will be better off, man. Like, well, I think we'll be better off that's as a the country, hope. Well, yeah, I guess that's, that's the hope. That's the hope. Maybe, uh, we just need, off the rocker there, we need but. more good days, you know? Like, you have a good day, and then a bad day. And then another bad day, and then another bad day, and another bad day, and a bad week, and a bad month. That's a lot of people right now. And then the riots broke up. Ah! And now the riots are over. The looting seems to have stopped. The National Guard's moving back out. Let's hope people keep it peaceful. And if people keep it peaceful, it, it really could change the world. It really could. Yeah. Well, let's hope on that, man. Let's hope. So what do you do now, Henry Cejudo? Say if you do decide to not fight again. You're like, I'm done. I did what I had to do. I'm triple C, two world <laughs> titles, an Olympic gold medalist. My name is cemented in the history books. That's who you are. I mean, that's legit. I think I programmed Joe to talk like that. You see what no, I'm saying? True. You see all my, Listen, you see my gimmick worked. It worked. I'm an analyst. When I look, <clears throat> if I look at you completely objectively, even if I didn't know you and you're a great guy, and I always enjoy talking to you, but if I didn't know you, I'd be like, the motherfucker, like, name someone who's done more. Name someone who won two world titles and a fucking gold medal in the Olympics in wrestling and did it all in the most technical of divisions. Yeah. And like I said, Joe, like, this is, like, I'm not saying I'm the best fighter in the world because I'm not, man. There's, I would even put Demetrius Johnson, like, in front of me. I would put a lot of people in front of me, you know what I'm saying, even though I do have a win over him. Um, but I wasn't the best wrestler in the, uh, like, I wasn't like the, the greatest in the, in wrestling, even though I was an Olympic champion. Like I fall into a very secluded group, but I'm one of a lot, you know, but I think if it, when you collaborate both of my accolades that I've done in sports, that's where the greatest combat athlete of all time, you know, comes in. And it's, yeah, and it's a gimmick and I say it a lot, but you know, part of it is, uh, it, part of the gimmick is I am telling the truth. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like it is it's a gimmick or not. It's it's in the conversation. Mm -hmm. You're so, in the conversation. So maybe in the next twenty years they'll. Uh... <laughs> it's a conversation. Like I don't know what the, the like. There's a lot of people that think it should be GSP, and that's in the conversation. He's in the conversation. Is one of the greatest of all time. Some people say you guys must have forgot how good Anderson Silva was when he was in his prime. That's true too. That's in the conversation too. But uh, you are as well, man. 
You really are. I mean, whether you, you know, whether you were joking around about it or not, you're in the conversation as one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time. And there's a, a real good argument that when you beat the guys who you beat, particularly beating Demetrius Johnson, who is untouchable, you know, beating Dominic Cruz the way you did, which is Dominic Cruz is always known for not getting hit. And, you know, you hit him and you hit him a lot. And then coming back from the Marlon Marais fight, holy shit, after that first round, to come back and dominate him and just glue yourself to him in the second and then put him away. Fuck, man. I mean, those are pretty, pretty powerful accomplishments. Yeah. No doubt about it. No, I appreciate it, Joe. I appreciate it. And don't, don't, uh, I think to answer your question, what's next is like there's a there's, there's not only the Volkanovski fight that that you know what I'm saying because he's he's not that much taller than him. Man. He's not, <laughs> I, I call him an overgrown midget, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not that he's not that much bigger than me. And I feel like man, I know I could beat him, dude. I just know it. Just be. What I do never, you walk around at when you weigh? Probably about one fifty. One fifty. But it, yeah, but it almost it would have to, it would it would be my skill. You know what, what would saying? you do um, if you, to prepare for that? Would you gain any weight, or would you just keep the the body weight you have when yeah, you walk I'll, around? Yeah, I would try to gain maybe another maybe five six pounds, but I, I wouldn't want to like I would tr try to do it as natural as I possibly can, mm. just to have a little more mass. But that's a big jump. Yeah, it, it does get dangerous, man. At forty five. Yeah, those forty five or some of them are enormous. You know, but, yeah, but the other one is, and there's actually a, you know, a potential in the talks. Like, uh, Ali's gonna talk with uh, Ryan Garcia's manager, possibly making a fight with, uh, yeah, with Ryan Garcia. I'm Ryan boxing. Garcia, the yeah, boxer, the boxer. You gonna box? Why not? Why really? not? You call me crazy if things iron out, you know, financially, and you know the cards are played right. Yeah, why not? He he Whoa. he he tweeted at me. He says, uh, you know, he. He pretty much called me out. That's wow. the way I took it. Tell him as long as you can throw some leg kicks in there. <laughs> you get three three leg kicks around. Yeah. So it's been a lot, man. I've actually been pretty busy. Like I was with I was with Tyson, and I was we we're at the AEW event. And I was with them. So there's even a potential even crossing oh. over to a AEW and uh, or the WWE. Do you remember PKA Karate? Do you remember that? No. It was like I think they used to call it the kick of the '90s or the kick of the '80s. Anyway, PK Karate was like kickboxing that you'd watch on ESPN at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Like I think Jeff Foxworthy even had a, a bit about it. But it wasn't very good. Um, there was some really good fighters like Rick Rufus and there was, there was a bunch that were real good. Jerry, uh, Jeremy Trimble. Um, Jerry Trimble. But the, the majority were kind of second-rate fighters. And to, with no disrespect. They weren't, they weren't uh, elite. And so they had to throw a certain amount of kicks. They had to throw like six kicks around. Imagine if you had a boxing match where you were allowed to throw just two kicks around. Oh, geez. Two leg kicks around. That's all I would take. Look at that calf kick. <laughs> <laughs> that calf two. kick's been killing people. You have two that land in a round. That's all you're allowed to do. And that's all I need. That's all I need. That would be a against, a against a boxer? Heck yeah, Joe. Like, these things have never yeah. felt that. Yeah. Well, even with PK karate, was all the kicks were above the waist. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the PK, that's oh, one okay, of the okay. one of the things that really defined, really woke everyone's eyes up to the power of leg kicks. Was when Rick Rufus fought this Thai legend. Um, God damn it! I'm gonna fuck up his name if I don't hear it, see it written out. But this Thai guy. Um, Rick was fucking him up in the beginning. He's real fast and long and hitting him with spinning kicks and shit. There, there's his name. Try saying that name. 
C H A N G P U E K. Put put that on real quick, Jamie. Because watch some of some of the action from that. This dude came out, and did the Y crew and everything, and yeah, just take it from there. And Rick Rufus was lighting him up with his hands. Rick was really slick, and he was probably one of the most talented of all the kickboxers back then that were doing the above the waist style. But this dude just kept chopping at his legs, man and chopping at his legs, and, and he heard him. That's what Rick heard him at one point in time. He caught him with the right hand, it looked like. Is that right hand? Yeah. So he had him in real trouble. This is round one. Now, this is the first uh, This is the first ever, like, mixed or yeah, televised? Yeah, it was, well, one of the first ever. This is 1988, and um, this is actually when I had, oh, he heard him again, dropped him. I think Did he kick him in the face on the way down, too? <laughs> I mean, he had him <laughs> fucked up in that first round. Then yeah. the fight goes on. The dude survives. And this was like right around the time I was introduced to uh, Muay Thai by this friend of mine that I was training with that was friends with this other dude who was even back in 1988 was taking trips over to Thailand. And he was learning from the Thais and fighting over there. And he would come back with these like crazy gashes on his head from getting elbowed. But uh, I remember that was the first time anybody had ever kicked me in the leg. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, it's so painful. And oh, so this is what happens with Rick Rufus. Rick Rufus had this dude in all kinds of trouble. Yeah. But this dude, there he is. He's chopping at those legs oh. and chopping at those legs. And Rick doesn't know what to do. And he's chopping at those legs because Rick's never fought with leg kicks before. If he did, he never fought a guy as good as this gentleman. So this is the fight that's really known as the fight that changed kickboxing. It changed martial arts because people understood, like, oh, my God, like, what a devastating weapon tie kicks to the thighs are. And look, yeah. He goes across the front of the thighs. I mean, this dude just starts killing his thighs. And what's really interesting is Rick's brother, Duke Rufus, is now one of the top MMA coaches in the world. Look, he's, look at they're calling timeout. They're making him sit in the corner and they're calling timeout. His legs are hurt. Timeout. <laughs> like, the rules were – even Jamie – Knows how ridiculous this is. The rules were crazy back then. Damn, I'm, getting, I'm getting into this fight. It's, yeah, uh, well, I've seen this before. I believe he gets up, and I believe he keeps going, and I believe the dude chops his legs again, and then he's done. Um, but it, he's, is he going to let him go? I think they might let him go, or are they stopping the fight? Isn't this crazy? Like, they haven't stopped the fight. They haven't stopped the fight with leg kicks, even though he clearly got fucked up by leg kicks to the point where he was incapacitated. But they're going to allow him to keep fighting, which is just preposterous. So he gets to walk it off like, all right, let's keep going. Like, this is how weird martial arts were back then. We didn't think, we didn't think that those were legitimate. Look at this guy just chopping at those legs, man. Beautiful Thai technique. Just so classic with the stance. He's got that, the hands way up high over his forehead with that, that stepping motion. So anyway, keep it going. Because they keep going. Oh, man. And they get, it makes it into the second round. You know what this fight reminds me of? The Mir Marias, man. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Except the, the chopping down in this case worked. Yeah. So he, Rick is, like, really incapacitated by this point. And, look, he just got yeah. chopped yeah. across the leg again. Oh, that's, that's only the third round. Look at that man. again. Boom ah. and boom and boom. So what's interesting is that Duke Rufus was in his corner, and Duke was like 19 at the time. He's a baby-faced Duke Rufus, who now is one of the best MMA trainers in the world. And Duke was saying, oh, I just don't think it takes that much talent to kick someone in the legs. Like, and he became like one of the best coaches and a, a world champion himself at Muay Thai. Like, no, this is how, and this is not to knock Dick or, or, or knock uh, Rick Rufus or uh, Duke Rufus. They're both awesome. 
This is just to say this was where martial arts was in 1988. We really just didn't know. There was a there was a developmental period where we just didn't know. And see, Rick is just mm -hmm. still they're still gonna let him fight. Those are hard kicks too, man. I'm so. Oh my that, god. I, I mean, even though they're stopping it like that, those are hard kicks, and he's still <laughs> he's, he's still, still fucked. Fight. He's gonna be fucked for weeks, right? I mean. Look, he could barely walk, and they're gonna let him keep going. Give it, give it a little, little forward head. What is he gonna say to him? Oh, you gotta—he's warning him. You threw him to the ground. Okay, so they tell him he can't dump, which is hilarious because <laughs> he's destroying his legs. Is what he's doing. So they got him in the corner. Like, look at some of this. This is the end of the fight. The end of the fight was ruthless. And you gotta think, like Rick Rufus is so he's goddamn running, tough. He's so goddamn tough to just have endured this because he doesn't know how to check it. He's just taking them all. Like there, like boom, and that was it. That last one, dude. High, high shin bone across the thigh, and I think that's the end of the fight, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah that's it. Was oh, this another one? Oh, <gasps> oh my God! They let him get back up. They dusted him off. <laughs> <laughs> he's still just getting fucking. Uh, it's all leg kicks, man. It's crazy. Oh, I'm surprised he's dude. He's taking a lot of pain, man. Do you imagine how horrible this must have been to him? That was the end uh, that we did before. Yeah, that's the end. Is that the end of the fight, or does it yeah. keep going? Yeah. Oh, it is the end. Oh, because it just replays all the other stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, I'm okay. pretty so sure that was the end. we were watching the same round three times. I don't know. No, it's just, <laughs> I think it went three rounds, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was just a horrific example of how this is the development of martial arts, right? I mean, this is like one of the steps on the way to the UFC is that we had to realize about leg kicks. Mm-hmm. It's a ruthless fight to watch. He looks like he's in super pain. Oh, my God, dude. The, well, you remember that one cat that fought in the UFC that almost lost his leg due to compartment syndrome? Did you ever see that scar? No. You want to you freak out? Maybe sure. you re rethink a, a comeback. I'm going to show you something. This dude <laughs> had compartment syndrome in his thigh. Uh, um, sorry, I'm blanking on his name. Austin Hubbard. Austin Hubbard, who's a uh, tough wait, motherfucker. That's him. Okay. And uh, they cut him from his ankle all the way up. To the top of his thigh. Yeah, you scared? You freaking out? Well, I'm trying to find a good. <laughs> uh, They're cut all open disgusting. Like one, I'm they looking have some, at people have uh, photoshopped it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they made it like a subway sandwich and shit. But that's his leg. Look oh. at that. What is that? Yeah, exactly. What is that? That's his <laughs> fucking leg. His leg is so, it was so swollen and destroyed and the tissue was so fucked up. That big thing on the tube is a drain to drain all the swelling and the, and the fluid. So they had to open up his leg. I mean, it's one of the biggest scars I've ever seen. It goes all the way down to his knee. Like from the top of his hip all the way down to his knee and they had to open his leg up. Because after the fight, his leg was just destroyed. Look at that. Who's that? I don't know. I thought that might have been it because it's coming up. I don't think so. That guy's got Everlast shorts on. I don't think that's the same oh. cat. Is that it? I don't know. There's a lot of those dudes um, from Muay Thai fights. Afterwards, they have giant swollen legs. But that was that was definitely his leg because John Anik showed it to me in between um, fights. And he's like, have you seen Hubbard's injury? And I'm like, oh, I heard about it. <laughs> he's like, no, no, no. You got to see it. Look, look. That's what it looked like while he's – Look at the size of that scar, man. And look at the blackness of all the tissue, like it's all rotting, and it's all destroyed from shins. And Bro, that's, that's terrifying. That fucking shit is terrifying. And that is what Rick Rufus went through. Just got his legs destroyed. I think, uh, I think I'm going to stay retired, Joe. <laughs> <sighs> like 
I forget what were we. Like what were, yeah, it did. Yeah, it looked like <laughs> like some pulled pork. Pastrami. <laughs> What were we just talking about when we brought that no, up? No, what was next? We're, uh, yeah, well, you, no, we're just we're talking, talking about, about that career. And What's you were talking about possibly boxing. Yeah, Ryan possibly Garcia. Ryan Garcia, man. So it's That's just for a, a giant payday? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, to win, obviously, to fight, to, what does to he walk challenge around yourself. He's, he, the boxers don't get as crazy as we do. You know what I mean? They don't get crazy heavy. But I'm walking around 150, so if we do fight, it'll probably be at 35, which is good. I think, uh, I think McGregor... Uh, I think McGregor's landing with with Mayweather. I think if Ryan wants to do it, then I think it's. I How think much I, time would you need to prepare for something like that? Pro, uh, probably about two to three months. To about three months. Three months. Yeah, and I like three months at least. How much on a regular basis is boxing a part of your workout? I know that you you did a lot of amateur boxing right out of uh -huh. your Olympic career. You went right into amateur boxing. You did that for how long? I did that for three years. And. That was thinking about trying to make the Olympic team again. Now, once you went back to MMA training, how boxing focuses your MMA training? Uh, it's a lot, but it's also different. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So now it's just, I don't even call it Muay Thai or boxing. Like it's all, it's just MMA. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. the distance, everything's just different. Right. And then you got to do it according to your, your style, man. According to what you, what you feel comfortable throwing so all of your workouts are mma you don't they're all yeah, yeah. they're all I, I cut i'm cutting all the bullshit out man i think I, when you get to that level where okay man two a two-hour striking class is just too much right you know what i'm right. saying uh two hours jiu-jitsu class that's not mma base it's not good and it would be too much what about when um you're done with a fight when you're done with a fight in between fights do you work out just to stay <clears throat> fit do you work out for fun? Do you go and do like a jujitsu class with a gi on or anything like that? Or do you do stick to sports-specific workouts even in between fights? Yeah, even in between fights. Or I could return depending on the art that I really got to develop so I could go back to just a two-hour class in boxing or, two, or, or an hour and a half of boxing, an hour of just pure wrestling. Mm. So you have the ability to do that, but there comes a time where you just got to get in maybe, maybe within eight to nine weeks, okay, you got to transition everything to just MMA-specific and then having your partner. Josie Aldo had a different style than Dominic. You know what I'm saying? And I was able to understand Dominic for, uh, you know, because he was a last minute replacement the last four weeks. And how much time do you spend, um, and <clears throat> how much effort do you spend weeding out sparring partners and getting the right ones? And how, how important is that for that, a camp? That's my, coach, that's my coach's job. You know what I'm saying? That's for him to call and to see and the, t the people that we know and trust right. and all that. And, uh, and the other thing is, is my it's hard it's hard what I do. I mean, I got I got a I got a guy alternating like every round. I'm doing a five round fight, and I got a fresh dude in every round, dude. When I'm going hard, right? You know what I'm saying. So a lot of like the act, the practices that I'm doing, like I'm really investing in what I'm doing in sparring. Do these guys know you already? I mean, have you trained with them previously when no. they make it to a camp, or these are the first time you've ever trained with them? Yes, the first time you ever trained with them. So it's it becomes a very uh, it's a relationship, but it's also very business like. You know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. like, hey man, you're you're so focused, and you'll be compensated to do such and such you know what i'm saying and when you say that like say if you're fighting someone who has like an unusual southpaw style they have to they when they spar with you they should be sparring from a southpaw style yeah, yeah. southpaw style and obviously even from the height like i don't i don't if i'm when i fought dominic everybody had to be exactly dominic size mm. and they had to be able to move like him or try to move like him the best as possible mm. so i'm not sparring with the guys about my size right right you know what i'm saying yeah so it depends who i'm who you're fighting to. how hard is it to get a guy to mimic dominic cruz 
Actually, th- they're out there, man. There's a lot of guys that grew up watching Dominic fight. A lot of there is a guy at our gym, a, a couple guys at our, at our gym that that moves just like Dominic. Really? Yeah. So he's he's with his whole art. Like they studied him, they were able to develop certain things, and they're they're the ones that were telling us like don't don't even go for the smoke bomb the hands, take the legs off. Smoke hand the the hands, take the legs off. And something that I saw from uh from this whole COVID thing from finding an empty arena is. Our corner, we were prepared. Check this out, Joe. Like, this is how prepared we are. Like, we were even prepared to the point where we're using cold words. You know what I'm saying? So it was every time I heard spaghetti, take the legs out. <laughs> Pumpkin, you know, let's start going up top. You know what I'm saying? Potatoes is, you know, it's 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 sticking the body. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? And I could hear <laughs> clearly what Dominic's corner was saying during the fight. So they're like, left high kick. Oh, I could hear right. it, man. I'm just oh. like, so it made me understand that maybe the sport of fight, maybe it's just you fighting. But when you're able to study, just like even your surroundings, you understand, that, dude. This is this this is a team sport, man. Was his that coaches, weird his that coaches you could were giving me so many clues. So loudly? It was fun. It was fun. It was fun. I, I and it was it was it was fun, man. I don't know how the other people. I fought with the. I've been fighting with tons of people in the crowd. Like it was fun to just hear the corners, man. Like mm. it was a treat for me. Was it weird that that's going to be your last fight? At least you've experienced it once. Right to do it that way. I think that's why I liked it. It was so personable, man. I've I, I know every detail in the UFC, yeah. man, from the security guard to Heidi. Like yeah. I have a relationship with these people, with Jeff Nowitzki. I'm able yeah. to, you know what I'm saying, without having to take a picture or a fan wants to see you. Yeah, I'm I'm giving back to the people that have that have been here the last I don't know what five six years. Was it more or less relaxed when there's no audience? More relaxed. More relaxed. Yeah. yeah. Way more relaxed. Seems like it would yeah. be. Look at the fights, man. Look at this card, man. Yeah. Do you think you think the fights would be like that if there's a if there, if there's a big crowd? Like people were into their groove, man. Whether you're winning or losing. Mm. Maybe it would have. Well, there's also the factor of the smaller octagon. What do you think about that? They're using for the apex center the 25 foot uh, octagon. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. You want to see blood, Joe? No, it's not that I want to see blood. I want to see exchanges. I feel like you can still move in a 25 foot octagon. You can still get away from shit, but you shouldn't be able to get away from everything all the time. Like the bigger the octagon, the more it comes into. If you're going to use an octagon at all, I think the smaller one's better. My feeling is you shouldn't use anything. My feeling is it should be in a football field. Man up a fucking football field. I'm for real. Where there's, n- I'm not joking. Yeah, I've just, said this a million times. Just let them go, go up the stairs. Well, where there's no, no obstacles, no wall to press someone up against. If someone gets up, they have to get up on their own. Like they have to be flat on their back in the middle of nowhere, and they can't use the wall to get up. I feel like there's a factor, and I don't think it's a good or a bad thing, but there is a, a recognizable factor that the cage provides. The yeah. good thing, if you wanted to say a good thing. The smaller cage is better because yeah. they can't go anywhere. The bad thing that there's a cage at all and that it does get in the way, it does become a thing. Yeah. Like when and someone's clinching you against the cage and kneeing you, your back is against the cage. You, there's a barrier. You're stuck. I feel like it would be better if there wasn't a thing that someone could press you against that would be good for their advance. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. But it also, So it's almost like the Kumite. Yeah. You know, and, and that obviously, but bigger. Yeah, bigger. Just a big, open, like, basketball-sized court. Put some crocodiles out. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, just have it. Make it real right, a big wave on the other side. And I could argue <laughs> that, you know, look, it's a dumb argument because I also think that it's better to have a 25-foot octagon than it is to have a, a 30-foot octagon. I think it's better to have it smaller so you can't get away. If you're mm-hmm. going to have an, a, an, a thing where someone can press someone against it, I think it should be smaller. But I'm a moron. You don't have to listen to me. Yeah, no. I don't know. I, know. I, I get you. It's it's 
You know, if you're fighting the woods sometime, or, you know, <laughs> what would you prefer? Practical. Would you prefer the larger octagon that you have fought in in Jacksonville or the smaller one like the Apex Center for your style? Uh, for as a wrestler, if I'm going to wrestle, it's going to be the smaller one. And I fought yeah. in both. As a, if I was a striker, if I was like somebody like, uh, you know, just one of the strikers, I would a good striker like maybe Sean, maybe O'Malley. I would mm -hmm. need a bigger cage because the wrestlers out there to cut distance. Right. And if you know how to use a cage, it's it's. Dude, it's a power. It's a powerful tool. What do you think about the possibility of becoming a coach? Is that something you really consider? Because you were kind of talking about the heartbreaks of it, and why was I think you would be an amazing coach? Yeah, ah, uh, man, I don't. But maybe to a certain extent, man. I, I think maybe I would to like, the right people. Yeah, exactly. It, it's hard, Joe. It's hard, man. This is why because there's some people. You know, we talked about heart and ability today. Mm -hmm. It's like there's some people that have a lot of heart, but their ability is just like, dude, when are you gonna get it? Right, right. Or vice versa. So. I think because I know what it takes, and if I don't see that from a certain person, then I just I can't be a part of it. Well, let me I'm put saying? this in your head. Think about this team that you put together. Think about this scientific approach that you guys put together for formulating your camps, <clears throat> whether from nutrition and training and recovery and all that stuff. Now imagine doing the same sort of work with bringing you disciples, someone who puts the same amount of effort into finding fighters that are worthy of your kind of coaching. You could develop a fucking empire. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Come on, son. Maybe, but it's not. <laughs> I want to get into real estate, man. I want to do... Uh, do you? Yeah, I want to I want to do that. I want to do... You want to uh, get paid. I want to get paid, man. I'm, I get uh, it. I love freedom, Joe, more than anything, man. Like, I've competed my whole life from age 11, Joe. I have over, like, 600, maybe 700 wrestling matches. Competitions, man. Boxing, wrestling. From age 11 to 33, that's all I've ever done. That's all I've ever known was competition. You're to done. To compete. I'm done, Joe. Listen, Unless that Ryan Garcia or maybe the Volkanovski, but even then, if it doesn't happen or whatever, I, it's okay, man. I'm, I'm happy. Whatever happens, man, what you've accomplished so far has been truly spectacular. And I really believe that you could do anything you want, whatever it is, whether you decide to focus on real estate or anything. A man who can do what you've done can do anything. And mm -hmm. I think it's one of the best lessons of martial arts, you know, that like uh, the, the amount of power that you have to have in your mind to push your body to do what you've done, to push your, your will, to get those workouts in and to compete when it's, when it's game day. You've done that. You've done it in a way like you, you've overcome the battle and you're, you're getting out while you're still fresh. Yeah. You're a young man. Yeah. What are you, 33? 33. That ain't shit. <laughs> you're a young man. You have all this energy, I a, man. I got, some, I got some hairs on my, I got some grays on uh, my. In... You've had a very <laughs> strenuous life. I mean, you know, very few people have put their body to the kind of strain that you have in all those 33 years, but you could do anything, man, anything, yeah. whatever you want. And you get out with your wits intact. Yeah, no, thank you, Joe. Thank you for, uh, man, thank you for everything, man. This was, uh, this was a fun time. You know, my getting, pleasure. Getting a chance to share my knowledge and obviously getting a chance to hear your knowledge. And uh, it's been a good time. I just want to, can I, you mind if yeah, I give a couple yeah. thank yous yeah, here? Please, yeah, please, I want to give a special thank you to my, to my new uh, sponsor, Smart Cups. That was just explain your friend uh -huh. who owns smart cups yeah chris connect um he just showed me a video of what it is it's can, uh, can we say it yeah yeah you go ahead you want, you, yeah you want to explain it uh joe Let's they see. figured out a way to have 3d print um nutrients and flavor in the cups so you take the cup it's the craziest shit i've ever seen there's a cup you buy like a box of cups take the cup you pour the water in the cup and it turns into this electrolyte drink because the 3D printing of all the stuff is actually on the surface of the cup. 
It's pretty yeah. fucking badass. Yeah, it's a trip. So let's say, like, I'll give you an example. Let's say, you know, you go to a ballpark and you want a lime. Like, the ballparks for 50,000 people, it's the world champion. They're going to have a bunch of limes like that, dude. It's expensive. And there's, like, that. a fee. That's what it looks like, folks. So that's with the 3D printing flavor and nutrition that's in these cups. And yeah, they pour for, that so stuff for, in so there. So, for instance, that picture right there, like, if you like your beer with lime, like, that would have a, a printed, like, actual lime. So you could have a cup that was a lime cup. You pour your beer into the, like you say, if you have a Corona, you pour it into the lime cup and you get that lime flavor in no, your beer. No, but check this out too. Sometimes you don't even need alcohol. You just need water because there's already like- uh, Alcohol in there? Yeah. There, there what? Could, there could be, yeah. There could, you just need water. It turns into beer. So there's, really? there's a mad scientist next to you. Is that real? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> so it's well, a trip. Well, listen, brother. I've said it before, but I really mean it. It's an honor to call your fights. One of the coolest things about uh, being a fan of the UFC and then being able to be a commentator is like I know I've experienced history. You know, I've I've been there and I've you know I've had this incredible job where I get to talk during some of the greatest fights of all time and try to do justice to those fights and try to. To let people know how insanely impressive some of these performances that you've accomplished have been to me as a person who's been watching fights my whole life. So as a fan and as a person who gets to do it professionally, it's been an honor. For real. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. That means a lot to me. That means a lot to me. Uh, thank you for giving me the platform. Like, I haven't really, you know, shared a lot of things that I've shared today. And uh, there's no other platform here than the Joe Rogan Show. I'm, I'm honored, brother. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to everybody for listening. Henry Cejudo, it's over, baby. He's done with you people. Champ. Intergender champ. Intergender <laughs> champ. <laughs>